get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Oh, the first pitch drills him. Castellanos gets a stare, and he'll be granted first base. Yachty keeping the peace out there, explaining what happened. Offering the ball right on back to Woodford. In the moment, I just saw the ball, and my, I just decided to offer it to him. If Wainwright says he's tired, all right, man. He has a right to say that. I got nothing but respect for that dude either. He's a Hall of Famer. And save at the plate. And Castellano words with Jake Woodford. And here we go. Arenado is all over it. I wore 93 in the ribs. That don't exactly feel good. I asked Yachty if it was an accident. He said, of course it's an accident. Yachty's a boss, yo. Like, all right, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I find myself really liking that guy, and I feel like I shouldn't really like oh, that guy. Well, of course you would like that guy. With BK? Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the scene on Saturday as the benches cleared. There was almost, almost a real brawl it ended up being your typical baseball quote-unquote brawl but what's that mean yeah they go out there they talk to one another they shout and have somebody hold them back while they're not actually ever going to do anything in that's other your words, typical baseball it's brawl a one-on-one on one with like 50 other guys surrounding them yeah just talking about what like they're going to do fight. that night no soccer fight i don't know if i've ever seen a soccer fight now that i think about it have you ever seen a baseball fight Runetto door. That wasn't a fight. That was a right hook without him looking at second base. (laughs) That was the greatest hit of his life. That was. (laughs) Yes, that was. He he had never before or never since hit anything the way that he hit uh, Batista. Batista in that exact. You know he sat at home before that and just watched Mike Tyson YouTube videos. Like this is how you have a right hook. But this isn't about that. This is about Castellanos. Guys, I actually liked it. I was happy to see a little bit of tempers flaring, a little bit of energy, a little bit of excitement in the first weekend of the baseball season. Yeah, it went against the Cardinals, and you wish that the Cardinals would have responded better in terms of their play on the field. But I think this kind of thing is really good for baseball. It's a storyline that we didn't have coming into the year. I wasn't super excited about Cardinals-Reds games moving forward because I'm not all that interested in this Reds team. What? I got that changed it after the weekend, didn't it? I'm going to be glued into every game between the Cardinals and the Reds this season. In fact, if you're looking for series that are like the most intriguing, this one's right up there for the Cardinals now because of the storylines that emerged over the weekend. I loved it, even though I know here in St. Louis we're not supposed to. Yeah, I mean, I I know that 
St. Louis after Saturday is the, you know, ultimate, you know, Castellanos is a horrible person and, you know, everyone should hate him and boo him like Brandon Phillips and rightfully so. Like, if you're going to do that, he deserves it. Yeah, you protect your team. That's what you do. It's the same thing that people have done with Brandon Phillips. But I'm with you. I I loved every second of it. Like, there's got to be some fire in baseball games. We we complain so much, not we, just baseball fans as a whole, that the game's slow. It's not entertaining. You know, it gets boring after a while. That defeated all of that. Now, look, I don't I don't want to see that for 162 games because, I, you know, frankly, it will get kind of repetitive after a while. But, we'll like, the fire from Castellanos of getting hit. Now, I told T-Bone on Saturday because he, he was in here working and I was getting ready for pregame. It's like, okay, are we going to have, like, are we going to get that pissed off from first base to home plate when you were basically were hit by a pitch? Like, get over at that point. But, so, here's the thing. I think he completely overplayed it, but it's the, the Michael Jordan thing, right? It's a perceived slight. Was he actually meaning to hit Castellanos? No. Woodford just had no command, like none the entire game. He wasn't very good from start to finish. Yeah, That's how Castellanos scored was because he once again had no command. Wild pitch. Boom. He ends up making a great play at the plate and the rest, as they say, is history. But I liked it. The only thing I disliked from Castellanos was him cowering back to the side and going towards the dugout as the rest of his teammates were fi- uh, filtering in. And that's where I was going at. and having his back. Like if you're that gonna was the do, only thing I disliked. If you're going to do that, you better stay in the middle of that scrum, not run to the sideline of it, then go into the dugout and then go out and apologize after. Like if you're going to show fire in the game, stick with fire. But look, that's the that's the walk off bat flip. Right? Like, that's the walk-off walk of let's effing go. That's that's what these guys do. Yeah. And you got to be cool with it. But I respect Yachty and them for stepping up when they did. Yeah, I agree with you there. But I also looked at it, too, as if he – I don't think – I think if it was more of a heated moment, he would have stood up for himself. That was his first career ejection, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like this guy's a bad dude. I think what happened was the mo- moment happened – He's kind of fired up. He does the flex. Yeah. We, we heard Woodford was like, I was kind of surprised he did it. And then Cassie Owls was probably like, what are you guys charged at me yeah. for? I was Wood- just excited about the moment. Woodford's face went from, oh, didn't expect that coming. And then saw Yachty, Goldschmidt, and out of bottom. Like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Somebody from the text line, 65780 from the 573. Guys, the hovering over and flexing was a bit over the top, though. That's where I think it kicked it in, though. It was over the top, and I loved it. It's okay to have emotion. It was a big moment in a baseball game, and if Nolan Arenado did the exact same thing, we would have celebrated it. Nolan Arenado, by the way, one of the winners of the situation, he has the fire that we love in St. Louis. Oh my you gosh, can see yeah. it in that moment. By the way, Paul Goldschmidt, a little bit of fire in that moment that I had never seen from Goldie in my life. The reason that we love, one of the many reasons that we love Yadier Molina is that he never backs down, ever. He is always ready to go. That fuse is seemingly pre-lit at all times, right? And so with Nolan Arenado, we talked about this in the past. We've had guests that have said it before. He is cut from the same cloth as Yadier Molina and that he is going to come in and in those moments, he's ready to go. Nicastianos, a little different in that way. He clearly was not exactly ready to go, but he wore his emotions on his sleeve. And I like that. And by the way, after the game, some of the comments that came out from Nick Cassianos just made me like it even more. Did you hear what he said in particular yeah. about Yadier Molina? Yeah. 
Let's go ahead and take a listen together. That guy could have punched me in the face. I still ask him for a signed jersey, but you know, like I got nothing but respect for that for that cat, bro. He's a real one. I'm with him. Yachty could punch me in the face. I take an autograph. See, I don't know so if you'd be able to ask after he punched you in the face. That's, that's a fair problem. question. That's the problem. I don't think I would respond well to Yachty or Molina punching me in the face. Now, I'm not saying like I would punch him back. I wouldn't have the ability would to ask him. you respond well to anybody punching you in the face? It's a good point. The answer is no. Oh, okay. The answer is, is almost certainly no. Here is the other thing with it, too. Like, he has that fire. If you're going to flex over a guy who's laying on the ground and then five minutes later come back out and apologize, like, apologize after. Like, it just made him look a little much like a punk after that, didn't it? I don't care. Like, I, I, I did a little bit. It's, we can have fun in baseball. Baseball is supposed to be fun. And this was a really fun moment. Again, if you're a Cardinals fan today and you hate Nick Castellanos, awesome. That's good. We need sports for villains, baseball. right? And if you are a Reds fan today, you just found your new favorite player. If the Cardinals were in this spot and it was Tyler O'Neill or Yadier Molina or Tommy Edmond, whoever it was, we would be coming on the station today, especially if the Cardinals played after that, the way that the Reds did after that moment. Yeah, they we backed be, it up. We would be talking about it the way we talked about Jordan Bennington, where we're saying maybe that was the thing that sparked them, right? They turned it around and suddenly over the weekend, they ended up going 2-0 and after a horrible opening day. That's what the Reds fans are saying well, today. We, we hoped that that would have sparked the Blues, and it well, didn't. It's a little different with that one. After it, we thought maybe, right? Well, and the other thing that I think Castellanos deserves a lot of credit for is he balled out this weekend. Yeah, backed it up. Six for 11, finished with a double, triple, two homers, five RBI. He finished the season or the series over the weekend with a 1,300 slugging percentage. The guy was awesome on the field. And so if you're going to make a play like that, if you're going to show that kind of exuberance, yeah, you, you better damn well back it up with some of your play. And he did exactly that. Well, and I know Grandpa T-Bone over here wasn't happy because, you know, it's not good for the game. You know, it takes away from the tradition of baseball. No respect for the game. Right, T-Bone? That's how you were feeling. No, not necessarily true. <laughs> I, I thought it was an overreaction from the fan base on Cassianos. You ever been hit by a 96-mile-an-hour fastball? It was 93, though. Sorry. Totally uh, different. Sorry, I've been hit by <laughs> This was your I've argument been hit, on I've been Saturday, hit by, I've been hit by an 80-mile-an-hour fastball. It didn't feel great. This I wasn't was, happy the whole whole trip around that, the bases that, either. That was, that was his argument on Saturday. For, for me, yeah, it would hurt to get hit, no question. But by the time I get to third base and then the wild pitch and I score, okay, I think I'm done with it, right? No, I'm still in the moment. And, and he scored a big run. Like, I think, I think what happened there is I don't think that had anything to do with him getting plunked I think it had everything to do with him making a big play in what was a meaningful game for the Reds but he right? knew exactly what he was doing he knew exactly what he was doing when he made that gesture towards uh, Jake Woodford I mean over the weekend uh, yesterday we, it was Easter right and so we went outside and we played a game of bags and I beat Kara and you stood over her when she was on the ground and you said that's right let's F and go yes <laughs> because that's how you respond in the heat of the battle God. right <laughs> And now you guys have not, you've taken that uh, sell off the house that you were going to purchase. And should I, should I keep the save the date? Yeah, you can keep it okay. for now. I think just it, in case it might the, be back just on Just in case eventually. the bags game got out of control between BK and Kara. By the way, I think everybody handled it well. I think the Reds handled it pretty well. I thought they came out afterwards and said all of the right things. I liked the way Nick Castellanos handled it. Yeah. I thought Mike Schiltz, with his comments afterward, where he was comfortable with the way that the Cardinals handled the situation, I thought he handled this particularly well. You know what the best... Oh, sorry. 
We're gonna go throw to Nick or to Mike Schultz. Send here. it to Mike Schultz. You know, I'll walk out of here and review what could have done different or better, but I'm pretty comfortable with how we did it, how I handled it, and we'll see what moving forward. I mean, the fact of the matter is we play ourselves, you know, we're not here to you know, we, we respect our opponent, you know, regardless of who it is. We'll show up, we're gonna play good hard nosed baseball. You know, just fall where they may. But we're not going to back down from it. Pretty much on record for that. I think he is on record for that. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you missed it, if you don't remember how Mike Schilt feels about his team responding to situations like these, let's go to the tape from the 2019 postseason. We don't start with no one with us ever, ever. All right. Now, I don't give a who we play. We're going to him up. We're going to take it right to him the whole way. We're going to kick the Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the video that got Randy Rosarena traded away from St. Louis. All right, we didn't have to look at it that uh, way. How how we all miss that. The best part about those brawls, brawls, air quote, is someone trying to contain their roster. <laughs> yeah. Because there's like what? Sixty people on the field and Mike Schilt is just running around person after person after person saying, No, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You can never contain these guys. Like, trying to stop Yadier Molina in the middle of this is like, just let him go. Let him go. I loved uh, Mike Moustakis. He he may have been, like, the number one pick. If we were drafting the Reds roster on who was most likely to be able to contain Yadier Molina in that spot, I think Mike Moustakis would have been my number one pick. Oh, Moose? Because yeah. he's huge. picking him. He's a big dude. And so he, he basically had him tied up. And Yachty was essentially choking him out, he trying was, to get to Nick Castellanos. M- Moustakis was like the horse whisperer there. I mean, whatever he was whispering into Yachty's ear, like, I don't know if he was singing him a song or something. He was calming him down. Well, you saw them afterwards having words. And Mike Moustakis, you could read his lips because Moose speaks very clearly. Said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. <laughs> it was it was great. Okay, so if Yachty's ever angry with you, just repeat, I love you, bro. I yeah. love you, bro, over and over and over, and you're good. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get more into this throughout the day today. I think we're all on the same page here, which I wasn't anticipating, but it was fun. I, I enjoy a good little baseball. Who you? Who did you expect sprawl. to argue against you? 100% Tanner. Yeah, I was with wow. you on that one, too. 100%. Wow. I expected him to say it was horrible for the game. Yeah, I thought he was going to come in here and say that he uh, yeah. he disrespected the game and they should have yeah. not only thrown at him at 93, they should have had Jordan Hicks throw at him at 100. I expected him to say he dropped his hot dog in the middle of watching that because he was so upset. It's 11-16. I'm just going to let that go unfettered. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next... So that was the fun part of the weekend, at least for us here in this room. The less fun part of the weekend was the Cardinals pitching. We got to talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. on track as you manage the game and you do it for a while you look up and you realize he's in a pretty good place and he, he was on a pace to go six seven innings yesterday and um you know really could have still done it a few balls hit at people but didn't and you know it's the game so no crying over spilt milk right but um the fact of the matter is we thought he could go deep um and it is important for guys to be able to log their innings so we can keep our bullpen sharp and, and i have to rely on them and keep them fresh as possible all right so the pitching has got to be discussed we talked about the fun part of the weekend. The pitching is the less fun part. Before we do, let's tell everyone 
It's the first game of the, or it's the first week of the season. It's the first week of the okay. season, Alex. Now we can complain. The Cardinals' top three starters, Flaherty, Wayno, and Martinez, they exited over the weekend having allowed 16 earned runs on 17 hits in just 12 innings pitched. Altogether, the Reds hit 327 against the Cardinals' top three starters. That's not something you can deal with. However, if the Cardinals' relievers, their bullpen was extraordinary over the weekend, maybe you could get away with it. They were anything but. The Cardinals' bullpen, in 13 innings, that's part of the problem, they threw too many innings, allowed 21 total base runners, 11 earned runs, and had just 12 strikeouts. That is completely unsustainable for this team in particular. There are some teams that might be able to get away with that over a prolonged period of time where the offense is just outstanding and the pitching side of things has a little bit of a lackadaisical week, two weeks, whatever, right? They go through a slump. The Cardinals can't afford to do that. This team, despite the improvements that they have made in some areas of the offense, especially bringing in Nolan Arenado, it is still pitching in defense. That is going to be the identity of the squad. So when you have a three-game series where all three games, and in particular the last two, your pitching is lackluster, that's the result that you can expect. They've they've got to be better. It, it's just that simple. They can't play like that moving forward. And it's not even the rotation. I mean, the rotation was a little stressful because they can't go deep into games, but the bullpen, the bullpen was the part that got me. And I know it was kind of a taxing weekend for these guys because basically every game they were in the fifth inning. Um, but still... I I mean, this was the strength of the season and the rotation, maybe not so much because we were still concerned. And, you know, I thought Jack Flaherty's start was much better than Adam Wainwright's. Wainwright's was, it felt like a couple of years ago where... Oh, that's interesting. Did you feel that way, Tanner? No, I felt just kind of some bad luck. Because I did too. I, Wainwright's? Yeah. yeah. The one that really stuck out to me was, I think it was the Moustakas hit, where he was so out in front of it, it literally hit the knob of, or not the knob of the bat, the end of the bat, and was a spinner. I think the exit velocity on it was like 40 miles an hour, and they it just went the other way. Him. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a situation. I didn't actually come away being super concerned moving forward for Wayno. It's just one of those outings where it, it's what has not happened for Matt Carpenter, where... It's just dribblers down the middle, and they find a way. It's seeing eye hits. They just found a way to get through the, the part holes. Part that got me though was he couldn't stop it, and I know it was bad luck. I mean, those were those were very low hit velocity balls off the bat, but he couldn't get out of it. For Jack Flaherty, he found his way through. It was that last inning where he started to get frustrated and lost all of his command. But at the end of the day, Carlos Martinez was the best of the three. And that's where we sit right now, where I think we all thought he could be good, but we didn't expect him to be the best of the three. He looked excellent through three innings. Quickest I've ever seen him work, uh, or at least quickest that I've seen him work in recent years. Um, He was awesome the first three innings. The first time he had to go through the stretch, you could see his mechanics got out of whack, and that's where things started to go south on him. I actually, I I posted this on Twitter. I, I was curious, more concerning performance from the Cardinals pitchers this weekend, the starters or the relievers. I would go with you, Alex. I would lean towards the relieving yeah, side of things. That's where I was. I didn't have a lot of concerns coming out of the weekend for the starters. I mean, you had Jack Flaherty, who was throwing in 30 degrees and just didn't have great command. Wayno, we just talked about where he was nickeled and dimed all day long. I was actually encouraged, not discouraged, by the way that Martinez threw yesterday. Three innings, excellent. Last two innings went a little south, but all things considered, had a fine day for the most part. It's the bullpen that's concerning to me. 
way too many walks, not enough command out of those guys. At this point, you got to be sounding the alarm bells on Ryan Helsley. That guy, we've got some problems on our hands here. I've got much bigger questions about the bullpen right now than I do about the starters. I, I know it's early, but I would I would not be shocked if they option Helsley down. Just because then you can get a fresh arm. Who's the guy that's been struggling the most? It would be him. He's gone. An ending of the third, five hits, four earned. So I, I look at that, and Mike Schultz even talked about it a little bit after the game. I think it was yesterday where he said, well, we may go to add a couple more relievers once we get into a stretch. I think Helsley will be optioned down possibly soon. I Just because you need a fresh arm, I understand he's only had two outings, but to me that would make some sense. Get a fresh arm in there, maybe like Elledge or Parsons. Well, Parsons, I think you have to put on the 40 yeah. man, but I think Elledge I'd bring a fresh Whitley arm. Too. Whitley would be the bring one I'd Whitley. be going for. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see one of those guys called up. I don't know if they'll do it today, but just here in the next couple of days, I wouldn't be shocked if they did that. Just to get a fresh arm I mean, in the pin. Wasn't even Hel- I mean, Helsley was probably the most extreme out of them, but Henesis Cabrera, I'm thinking, man, I don't even know if I can go to him right now. Andrew Miller, he's going to give up that first bomb, and then from there he's fine. But that yeah. first bomb is going to put you behind right now. You know, we did the, okay, where's your uh, confidence at with that bullpen? And there were three guys on that list. The circle of trust. The circle of trust. Honestly, we had Gallegos, Webb, and Reyes were the three that were on that list. Going, I into think the I'm weekend. still there. <laughs> like those are the only three that I can go to. And one, there's innings restrictions on. Two is a lefty. Really, Gallegos is the one that you can go to in any circumstance and be comfortable with. I'm with you. I, I think we're all on the same path here. Those are the three, and Cabrera and Helsley are moving further away from the circle of trust. Um, I don't know what to make about Woodford. I didn't think he was terrible, but he's another guy that if we if we got some news, whether it be later today, tomorrow, at some point this week, that he was optioned down, he threw 43 pitches yesterday, so he's probably not going to be available for a few days either. I'll be interested to see if they want to get another long reliever up here sooner rather than later, and they just kind of play. It's not the I-55 corridor this year, but like the, the call-up corridor, I guess, however you want to look at that. I wouldn't be surprised if they they go up and down with a lot of these guys throughout the season just to make sure that they've continuously got fresh arms. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of agree with the take on Woodford. You know, I didn't think he was that bad, but command did was still an issue as we saw when he hit Cassianos and then the wild pitch. So, yeah, I I'm with you. Who would be the long guy though? Who who would you call up? Am I forgetting someone? Is Oviedo? Oviedo's on the forty man, so you could probably call okay. him up. Yeah, he probably would be. I think I, that's probably the one. But I, do they have anybody? I don't. These taxi squad things, man, it, it throws me totally out of whack. Do they have any pitchers right now currently on the taxi squad? Oh, Elledge is on there, but he's not a long man. And then I don't think you have a long man right now. I don't now. think a long man is on the forty man. Okay, so it, it probably would have to be Oviedo. That that probably be the route that you would go if you were going to go with any of those guys, or maybe you go. Um, Elledge and Whitley. And you just bring both of those guys up. I know that they're not going to give you innings, but at least then you've got two fresh arms. The scary part is you got two guys that are going to be starting in the next couple of days that you might have to have long men for. I mean, you might have to, especially for Ponce later on tonight, you might have to have somebody ready to go by the third or fourth inning. Absolutely. It's something that is concerning, and they have put themselves into that, that spot right now where you had a rough outing over the weekend with your starters. Your bullpen was used to a high degree. Tyler Webb, no chance he's available tonight. He's using each of the first three games already. So they're going to need more out of their starters over the next couple of games. And it's their two back end starters that weren't even expected to be in this rotation that they're counting on to get things done against Miami. Let's preview that series with Todd Hollinsworth. He is a former major league outfielder. He's on the call for the Marlins broadcast. Let's ask him about what he sees from this team. What can the Cardinals expect 
from a lefty starter that they've never seen before. Todd Hollinsworth joining us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, former Major League Baseball outfielder, 1996 NL Rookie of the Year and 03 World Series champion, Todd Hollinsworth joining the show. Todd, we always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic, guys. It's great to be with you. Hope everything's going well. Absolutely. We're doing all right. So I am curious, um, y- your final spot stop in the majors was with the Cincinnati Reds. Todd, did you have any uh, opportunity to see the, the benches clearing situation over the weekend between the Cardinals <laughs> and the Reds? I did. I very much did. Uh, it certainly caught a lot of a national attention. It, 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 uh, without, I mean, you guys probably have already covered most of this, at least in my opinion, it seems like the Reds uh, were, were highly motivated from about that moment forward when Castellanos was, uh, you know, coming into slide because, you know, much like yesterday's ball game, I think the Cincinnati Reds pretty much backed him up. They did, yeah, and that that's kind of one of the things that we talked about with that being kind of the jumping-off point for the Reds. I also, it's not a popular opinion today in St. Louis. I would be curious where you come out on it. I kind of loved it. Now, I I didn't love Nick Castellanos kind of backing away from everything afterwards and letting his teammates do all of the arguing or whatever afterwards. But I like the fire. Right. I like the fact that there's a little bit of a rivalry that's setting in between the Cardinals and the Reds now. Did did you like it? Well, I certainly, uh, I certainly did. I certainly respected it, and I think he had some just really good answers at the end of it all. If you if you if anybody was able to see his interview. Uh, after the game, I, I think you kind of understand where he's coming from. Listen, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of people, you know, standing over guys. You know, Cassianos is standing over, uh, you know, your, your, your pitcher as he's covering home plate, and there's a little bit of a collision, and it kind of created an awkward set of circumstances, and Cassianos almost felt like he took advantage of it. Um, but, but, but with that being said, I, I, I understand his point of view. I mean, you've got to remember, I think in his mind, he's saying, I'm speaking to my career. I haven't won an awful lot. The Reds haven't won an awful lot in a while, and I'm here, you know, trying to get things moving in the right direction. And if you look at the tone of the particular series, it kind of pinpoints itself at this little incident that takes place, whether it's him getting hit by the pitch or, you know, wherever you want to go with it, because the Cincinnati Reds kind of took over that series really from that moment forward. And it kind of leads into yesterday's ballgame, which was a complete, you know, whitewash by the, uh, you know, by, by the Reds. Well, and it seems like the frustration started to come out in that scenario too, didn't it, Todd, for the Cardinals? Because, you know, a team in, in game one of the season that absolutely crushes it with the victory, and then a team in game two that can't score any runs, and then you get uh, Castellanos scoring at home plate and doing that. Like, that's where the frustration takes over if you're a player. Right. Well, and the thing, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, baseball's funny like that. It, you know, <laughs> I always laugh at, you know, we, we have moments on the field as players where things happen, confrontations with players. Maybe we don't have as many of them any longer, but it's always interesting because I think fans generally look into what happened after the incident to validate the stance, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah. So it's like, you know, Cassianos has the stance, the Reds go on, play great baseball. Well, clearly that must have been the right thing to do because it, it inspired everybody. Well, it doesn't – listen, I don't agree with that, but, you know, it, it does certainly look that way. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is about winning baseball games, and the St. Louis Cardinals are, you know, showing up here in Miami, you know, thinking that that was a series they probably could have had, uh, you know, some better results in, yet they're 1-2 and two, just like the Marlins. 
We're talking to Todd Hollinsworth, former Major League outfielder. He is on the call for uh, the Marlins games, TV broadcaster down there. Todd, let's talk about this series a little bit because the Cardinals are getting their first look at the Marlins in the regular season, although the two saw plenty of each other in spring training. <laughs> what's what's kind of the feeling about this Marlins team going into the season? Because, I mean, I don't have to tell you, they play in one hell of a division this year. Right, they certainly do. Uh, a lot of news coming out from around baseball. I mean, you can lock in at a lot of spots. Uh, the Atlanta Braves struggling out of the gate. Well, the Marlins, listen, they played Tampa tough. I mean, it was an interesting series. It felt like maybe it was about 10 games wrapped up in three. We had great starting pitching early, tons of offense in game three. I think really the difference between maybe where the Cardinals are at and where the Marlins are at currently is that the Marlins are kind of rallying, uh, you know, in that, the, you know, they lost the tight opening day. It was a one nothing ball game. They had game two against the Rays, and the bullpen uh, imploded a bit in game two, and it turned into a Rays comeback victory. So they took the first two, day, two games, but then the Marlins showed back up again on game three, and the offense came out, bats were solid, and uh, it was a nice team win. So I feel like they have some momentum going into this. And, you know, if maybe you look at where the Cardinals stand, I do think that the Marlins have a, a, just a little bit of an advantage right now. You know, the, the, the Cardinals leave town in Cincinnati with everything that's happened, but then you kind of dive into your issues. Your starting pitching only went 12 innings in that series. Your bullpen's been used a lot, and they've given up some runs over the last few ball games. And I, I dare I say game four of a season is a pivotal start for the St. Louis Cardinals or, uh, you know, Ponce de Leon, who's going tonight. But I think that if he doesn't provide length, you're right back in that bullpen again. And, you know, the Marlins had a day off yesterday. So all their bullpen usage, everybody's rested. You can't say that for the Cardinals if De Leon doesn't go long. If I could follow up on that, Todd, why is that game four going to be so pivotal? Is it truly because you might tax your bullpen in the early portion of this season? Yeah, well, I mean, that's just kind of the way that you see it. Because, I mean, you, you jump into that red series with the Cardinals and, like, you only got 12 innings out of your starters. So. Yeah. It's a ton of work for your bullpen. Then you get on a plane. Then you come down here. You add up all the circumstances. And if Ponce de Leon doesn't give you five-plus or has a short start, and I'm just merely saying that not that he wasn't good last year because I think that he he certainly uh, took some steps forward in his career. But if he goes out today and, say, gets knocked out in the third inning and it's more of the same, your bullpen is just getting taxed and you got a couple more games in this series to go. Uh, you know, And it puts an awful lot of pressure back on the rotation to kind of find a way to Band-Aid that. You know, Todd, it's the ever-famous Tony LaRusso quote. It's the first week of the season. But I think if you would ask both fan bases from the Cardinals and the Marlins and agree with me if you, if you, if you feel this way, the bullpen seems to be the more concerning part on both sides, right? Well, you certainly could say that in our case because, yeah, it, you know, the, the Tuesday was just a bad loss, and really the Marlins didn't experience a bad loss last year. And so it's a revamped bullpen, and certainly they can bounce back, and I think that there was better work out of the bullpen yesterday, uh, excuse me, a couple of days ago. But to your point, I, I completely agree. If you start wandering down a path, I've in my own career been on a couple of different teams where, you know, our starting pitching was doing okay, our, our offense is where it needed to be in the bullpen, you know, for whatever reason, let us down a few different times early in the season. It seemed to derail the season uh, for everybody. Next thing you know, maybe the bullpen gets fixed, but the offense isn't hitting as much in the starting pitching. And it's just like it has a way of, uh, you know, really, uh, I don't want to say emotionally affecting the clubhouse, but, you know, when there's wins and games that you're supposed to have and wins that you're supposed to win, as players, you kind of, you know, you stand out there in the eighth and ninth inning and say, we got this. We got a two-run lead. This is our ball game." that happens too many times you just start to really you really break that trust barrier and when that happens it, it, it kind of raises questions all over the place 
We're talking to Todd Hollinsworth, Marlins analyst on Bally Sports Florida, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Todd, last question that I've got for you. The Cardinals tonight are going to be seeing a young man by the name of Trevor Rogers. They have never seen him, and he throws lefty, which means every Cardinals fan immediately has that reaction. What should we be expecting tonight from Trevor Rogers? Well, I, Trevor kind of falls in line with, I'm mean, sure you've obviously heard of Sixto Sanchez. I mean, I, he's uh, the one that's not talked about as much, but I was very impressed. I know if you look at his 6-11 ERA from last season, you'd say, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Well, this young man has got good stuff. He's a big kid. He's 23 years old, six foot five, and he throws hard, 96 miles an hour. You're going to see it tonight. His secondary pitches have been a work in progress. This is a kid who went into the Grapefruit League this year and led the Grapefruit League in strikeouts. Now, Guys, you know me. I'm not. I'm not jumping off on this. I'm not. You know, I, I'm just mentioning it because we think very highly of this young man, and we we also believe that he's at the very front end of his career. Guys, this is only his third part. Excuse me, third start at Lone Depot Park. He only made two starts there last year. This is a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience, but he has a ton of upside. So I, I think it's almost as, as valid a question asking me about Rogers as I would be about hmm. you know uh, Ponce de Leon because. You know, these are guys that you just don't know all that. Their track records just aren't that long yet. He's Todd Hollinsworth. You'll see him tonight on the call. Marlins analyst for Fox, or excuse me, Bally Sports Florida. Todd, thanks go. so much for the <laughs> time put today, that my in man. His head. <laughs> don't confuse Todd. All the best, man. Yeah, don't confuse me, but I, well, listen, the bosses appreciate that. We, <laughs> we, we thank you for fixing that. Absolutely. <laughs> all the best, man. I'll, uh, we'll talk with you soon. Sounds good, guys. Have a great Thanks, one. Todd. You got it. That's Todd Hollinsworth joining us here on 101 ESPN. Well, I can't wait to watch Cy Young in action tonight <laughs> against the Cardinals. Like, honestly. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It never fails. Um, by the way, I do agree with his assessment. I hadn't really thought of it this way. In some ways, it is a pivotal start for the Cardinals tonight. Yeah. Because let's go down a path for a second of it goes poorly for Daniel Ponce de Leon. He gives you three his pitch count goes up. He's got 75 pitches. It's a lot of work, and he's really grinding out there to get through like three and a third. You're going to have to get through like five and two-thirds innings from this bullpen right now when you're probably not going to have Woodford. You're almost certainly not going to have Tyler Webb in this one. I wouldn't think you'd go back to Hennessy Cabrera after throwing him yesterday. This would probably not. would be the game where you get multiple innings out of Alex Reyes. That's what I was just about to say. You'd probably have to stretch out Reyes. I mean, if you look at it right now, the Cardinals bullpen has thrown 13 innings so far in yep. three games. Now, if you want the worst case scenario, it's being the Rockies who have only played two games this season. Or I'm sorry, three games this season and have thrown 20 and two thirds innings from, from their, their bullpen. bullpen. Well, to everyone remember, Austin Comer only went three innings Ugh. the other day for, for Colorado. But but he's right. I, I mean, 13 innings is a lot if you're this Cardinals bullpen that if you look at it and try not to be pessimistic. But if you are, you got two guys that hopefully can give you a solid 10 innings combined. But if not... I mean, you're looking at possibly another 10 to 12 innings pitch from this bullpen in the next two days, and you really can't afford to have that right now. Need a big start out of Daniel Ponce de Leon. You know that we're all big fans of his here. Uh, enjoyed having him on the show, yeah. talking about his story. So I'm rooting for him, and I actually do think there's a pretty good chance that he can have a good start today. But the Marlins lineup is no slouch. They've got some good hitters in that lineup. Mm-hmm. Be interested to see what it looks like. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of your questions. We've got some answers coming up next and i've got a question for you guys as well because i need help we have an official closing date which means i got to prepare for what the hell it looks like when i actually own a home talk about it next on 101 espn 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. service tax line for questions and answers answers, answers. speaking is difficult it get is. those martinis back in the office earlier cigar too yeah no smoking in the building by the way yeah he he, used, he was outside oh well, good good, good we done here no well it depends if you mess up another word then we'll start back up six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers let's get to this one from the three one four all right guys how much interest do you have in the new Space Jam after they released their trailer over the weekend for the new movie? Did you guys see the trailer of of the LeBron James led Space Jam movie? That's, that's how much I'm interested in that movie. Terrible. Why? Terrible. What are you remaking it for? It looks fantastic. No, it doesn't. It looks good. No, it doesn't. It looks I'm terrible. excited. It looks I, terrible. I was terrified There's, that they were going to completely ruin it. And I was like, oh, no, they're, they're going just, to. They're going to try to recreate the exact same thing. And it's going to be awful. And it will be. They're they're giving a little bit of a spin to the story. They're modernizing it a bit. It looks really good. Why? Why is there a need for a remake of Space Jam? There's no conclusion to the story. <laughs> There's no conclusion to the story. There's no point in remaking this film. You're remaking this because LeBron James wants to be a movie star. In I'm fine with that. True, uh, first of all. and sec- You would be. Secondarily, this is what we do now in Hollywood. Like, half of our blockbuster films are remakes of a movie that yeah. was made 50 years There's ago. There's no original ideas and anymore. Okay. And they're well, terrible. I'm actually, true. like, scale of 1 to 10 excitement level for Space Jam, I think about, like, a solid 7. That's what I was going to say, too, about a 7. I'm excited. I don't think it's going to be like the greatest movie ever, but I think no. it's going to be pretty good. I think it's going to be better than I expected it to I'm be. Cur- do you think it'll be better than the Jordan one? Or is it just the original you can't top it? Yeah, the I original is fantastic. And you, you two need better taste in films. It's going to be really hard to beat what they created in that particular movie. You two need a better taste in films. That's terrible. Get off my lawn. If you don't like Space Jam? No, I love Space Jam. Okay. The fact that you are even interested in seeing Space Jam 2 is... Tells so, me a lot so about yourself. So let me get this straight. You're, you're not a fan of remakes. So I know Godzilla vs. King Kong is. <laughs> let me guess. When the when they remade uh, Godzilla, you're like, no, we got to stick to the 1960s well, original. Well, no, because that was basically a paper dinosaur that was... It's the same story, just remade. Well, I don't even like those films, so... And that's... on top of that, this is like the 35th Godzilla film. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't I'm see... I'm kind of good on Godzilla. I didn't watch the remake of Ghostbusters. You want to know why? Because there's no point in remaking that what film. What about Jurassic Park? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a spinoff of the film. Doesn't yeah. count. But a re- Does count. I, that's basically what Space Jam is. Space Jam is a spinoff of the original. It Terrible. Sometimes it's okay. Nope. Terrible. It's okay. Terrible. Text line would agree with me. Uh, 65780. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for questions and answers. All right, next one. This one comes from me for you guys. Tanner, I don't know that you're going to be much of a help on this one. I hate wow. to be the bearer of bad news. Wow. But, so... I officially got word over the weekend that our closing date is basically official. We're going to be moving in in about six weeks. So I have six weeks to prepare for my new house. You asking the text line to help you move? Which means, no, I think I'm good on that. Uh, I don't <laughs> yeah, think we not, need to share my address. I, on I don't That's help okay. people move. Sorry, guys. Um, I need to get some things for this house, including a new grill. If you guys know, I'm a master griller and also a lawnmower. I think I think I have my mind set on my new grill. I think I'm going with a Weber. 
Do you have any recommendations for lawnmowers? Where to go to get one? What I need to be looking for? What what am I needing to prepare for? Because this will be my first ever lawnmower purchase. I feel like that's a big moment in my life. Uh, garage sales. Okay. Not kidding. Garage sales. You could probably find yourself a decent lawnmower for a really cheap price. The other thing, if you go to, um, there's a couple different ones throughout the area. They basically refurbish broken lawnmowers and you can get them for cheap. My recommendation, honestly, and I'm with no kidding aside, buy yourself a cheap lawnmower to get you through this season and then buy yourself a brand new one in the winter time when they're on sale. Because that's what I did. I okay. used my dad's the first time because we moved around the same time. In the springtime, I had to use it for the season. And then I went and bought one for like $250 that was a $700 lawnmower. Damn, lawnmowers are expensive. Uh, you do, man. <laughs> pawn shops is enough. I mean, you could find ones at pawn shops, but I'll give you a couple names of Somebody some places that PK, do it. Do you even know how to put the gas in the lawnmower? From what I understand, some of them, you don't even have to do that. You can get an electric lawnmower nowadays. If you get an electric lawnmower... Just never admit it on the air because really? you, will, you will be you will be ruined. So don't do that. Don't do an electric lawnmower. Okay, so yes, I do There's, know how to put gas in things. There is nothing there is nothing good about electric Somebody lawnmowers. Also says lawnmowers.com. There's no way that's a real thing. I'm not looking at it. <laughs> I'm not looking at not on the company website. Um uh, how big's your how big is your yard? You're gonna do push or you need a driving lawnmower? You asking about my like lawn? My my Yeah. Okay. What did I say? It's not it's not a big lot, so, so you could push if need be. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't need a riding. This lawnmower. is good from the six one eight BK. You might be the most in depth person. I think that might be in depth person in Earth. I'm not sure, but it says get yourself a pet goat. Oh, that's a, that's so, a great idea. I know, I know we joke what? about. I know we joke about where I'm from. I'm from two and a half hours southern Illinois. Pet goats not, are everywhere, I'm not kidding aren't you. they? There, there was a house in my town that had four goats, and that's how he mowed his lawn. Seriously, four yeah, pet goats you do it. on a leash, and they all covered in they all covered in area. That's how the grass you was mowed. You don't have that big of a lawn either, so you could get one goat and be good. I yeah. am moving to St. Charles. Like, I don't Wait, think goats that. aren't allowed in St. Charles. <laughs> yeah, is that like in like the ordinance or whatever? Yeah, what, what, what the heck? I feel like it's probably frowned upon in the neighborhood to just have a bunch of goats yeah, roaming around. Can't you goats gotta... make like cheese too? Cheese and milk? Well, they they can T Bone, but you could have like an all-purpose goat. You could probably like be the place to go. Like you could sell your goat for grass cutting. You could sell your goat's yeah. milk. I think my person cheese? was trying to say that I am inept. By the in way, depth, in Not, depth. I, I think inept sounds about right. Yeah. Also accurate. Well, I, you're I in depth too. I've heard that about you. Uh, Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. So Alex has some great advice on the lawnmower. At least maybe. Um, do you guys? Am I on the right track? With the Weber, I've got the Performer Deluxe is what I'm looking at. Is that a good one, or should I be going a different path? I need the, the text line to help me out here. This is a big purchase. <laughs> Spending a, more than I would like to on a uh, on a grill. Wait, now, yeah. how much are we going to trust the text line? We always say text or troll. They're probably going to give you, oh, like, the most expensive. Oh, they would never leave me astray. They love me. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm oh, Brandon sure? Kylie. So, we have not talked about the Blues so far today. <laughs> Alex, yeah, you ready to join Tanner and I on the panic bus? Oh, I don't think I've ever officially put myself there. Alex, Tanner, are you ready to join me on the bus? We'll answer that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Riley hits it up the wing, not out. McCarr, long shot, they score! Oh no! Through traffic, a shot with eyes from McCarr finds its way in, and with 40 seconds to go in the third, the Avalanche have taken a 2-1 lead. A heartbreaker. 14 seconds left. It's tough, to, tough one to swallow for sure. Not getting a point out of that. Pretty good battle by us. That's what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN. The Blues versus the Avalanche over the weekend did not go the way that any of us were hoping. Blues lose both of those games against Colorado in their return to play. They have now lost one, two, three, four, it's five, six. six BK, in it's a row. six. Oh, that's worse than what I've been saying all day. God. I think I and said five earlier. <laughs> nice we asked work. this on. Last Monday, after the Blues had lost two straight against Anaheim, is it time to hit the panic button? At that point in time, we're all like, no. I said I'm reaching for it, but not yet hitting it. Alex, I think I'm ready to hit the panic button. Now, in all seriousness, how can you be hitting the like hitting the panic button because they're falling out of a playoff spot? I get yep. that. But you can't watch... You can't see that game on Saturday and say this team's getting worse. Because they're improving from where they were when they started this losing streak. Sure, Go back to but that they're vi- playing against better teams. Yeah, but look at the teams that they've lost to. They've lost to Vegas, they've lost to Colorado, they've lost to Minnesota. These have all been one-goal games. I mean, in this losing streak, they have literally lost to every team in the division other than Arizona. And they've been one-goal games. So, I... Yeah, but eventually you got to get on the other side of that. And well, I agree with that. But that's why it's so hard for me to say I'm going to panic right now. Like it's stressful because you are out of a playoff spot and you are falling deeper out of it. You're three points out now. San Jose has tied you in points. L.A. I believe is still four points behind you, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Um, So you have four teams right now. Fewer games. So basically, they're and you play them one more time. So it's definitely not looking good. But for me to panic, I'd have to see things continue to digress. And it feels like they're trending in the right direction. And believe me, I got obliterated on postgame Saturday for my comments afterwards saying that like, you watched that offense and they scored one goal. Like, that's still bad. And I agree. But they did everything right when it came to offense. Like, they put bodies in front. They were smacking at rebounds. They just can't find the back of the net right now. And Craig Berube's right. I mean... Right now, it just seems like more of a confidence and mental mistake, not mental mistake, mental problem than anything else. I hear you, and you're right, but we've been saying this for a month now. If this was a recent stretch where they got healthy and it's just been a couple of games and they're trying to get their sea legs back, I could listen to all of that. And what you're saying, by the way, is not an excuse. It's an explanation as to what we're seeing. And I, I if this was a typical full season Mm -hmm. and we were whatever 40 games into it i'd be like okay yeah i I think they've still got a they've still got a real shot here the problem is we have what alex 20 games remaining 19 this season and you're running out of time their problem is less about how they're playing and more about time and who they're playing yeah you've got two coming up against vegas starting tonight pregame coverage with alex ferrario on your home for the blues 101 espn uh, begins at six o'clock. That'll be the return of Alex Petrangelo tonight for the first time this season. You got another one against Vegas. Then you've got three against Minnesota. Then four, uh, four of your next five are against Colorado. You could be out of the playoff mix by the end of that Colorado series. And it will be of no fault of their own. Really? 
they're just going up against the best teams in the division right now. And so even if they're playing better, their version of better right now is not good enough to yeah. be able to beat the best in the West. They're they're waiting for that breakthrough. Like they honestly are. Like they're waiting. And I was really hoping that Saturday was going to be that. I made the comparison with Joe and Curbs on postgame Saturday night that that one felt, and go back a couple of years ago when the Blues went on that run, they beat Tampa Bay, which was the best team in the National Hockey League, one to nothing in overtime. It was 0 0. Shen scores the goal off Vasilevsky, but Jordan Bennington was phenomenal. That game on Saturday felt like the one that they needed to break through. And the fact that they lost with 40 seconds remaining on the clock is more prevalent of why this season has been this way. I mean, there's no more excuses. Like, if you miss the playoffs, you didn't play well enough. But it's it's one of those things that I can't get upset and be like, oh, this team sucks. Oh, I'm not saying that. No, I know. I'm just... I'm. There's a difference between being a bad team and just things not clicking right now. And they're really just not clicking on all cylinders because defensively, you allowed Colorado to score two goals. And one goal was a fluky shot from the point that just was screened in front of the net. I I made this on postgame. In two games against Colorado, both of them, you've held them to three or less goals. No team has done that other than Vegas in the previous 12 games. So you have to be a little bit more... On the positive side of that, the problem for me is goaltending. And, un- and scoring. And scoring, but I, I really feel like scoring is going to get there. Like, it's going to have one of those breakthroughs if they keep doing what they did. But goaltending is the is the part for me right now. Jordan Bennington just hasn't been there. Ville Husso kept them in that game Saturday. I mean, he made some unreal saves, which is what they've been waiting for. Unfortunately, it's that last one that goes in. And he's going to get the start in net tonight, and I think it's the right call. Uh, yeah. The Blues said earlier today, Craig Berube said earlier today that he liked the look of Ville Husso going up against Colorado over the weekend and that he's going back to him. Uh, he also was asked about Jordan Bennington and he said, it's a question that's hard to answer about his confidence. I think the player really knows that in, uh, I think only the player really knows where his confidence is inside of him. Benner has just got to be himself. He's got to be an aggressive goalie and have an aggressive mindset like he had before. The swagger in Jordan and what he brings there, that's what makes him a really good goalie. He's got to find that again. He's struggling right now. We, We all see it. We can watch it, and we can see how he's not on top of his game. And this is part of the issue is the Blues' best players, whether it be Jordan Bennington, he's a part of that, or their defensemen that they have paid handsomely for. Uh, Tory Krug has not had a, a great season compared to expectations. Justin Falk has been pretty good, but not the same guy that we saw early in the year. Uh, Scandella, who they, they paid a decent amount of money, has been up and down this season. And then you go to the forwards. Braden Shin, no goals in his last 11 games. Jaden Schwartz, no goals in the eight games since returning from injury. Jordan Cairo, two in his last 15. Mike Hoffman, three in his last 19. Robert Thomas doesn't have a point much less a goal, a point since returning from injury six games ago. Vladdy has two goals in 13 games since his return. Tory Krug has one goal all season long. That's your list of your best players on their team. On your team, they're not performing up to expectations, and so yeah, it's no surprise that they're playing like this and, right and now. And you know what the problem for me is, and this goes into Jordan Bennington's struggle. This goes into Ryan O'Reilly, who had the turnover on Saturday, which I know a lot of people saw. And and look, it's a rarity. O'Reilly's been awesome this season. You got guys that are trying to do too much individually, 
It goes back to the individual contractor comment that we've heard in the past. Not that guys are selfish and don't want to play as a team. I I think it's truly guys are trying to do everything they can to stop this losing streak. Braden Shen's trying to do everything he can, which is the scoring skid that he is in right now. Tarasenko's trying to be this highlight reel goal scorer, whereas he's just not playing that five or that 200 foot team game. Jordan Bennington is trying to channel his inner Stanley cup push Jordan Bennington. And he's just not getting there. I mean, watch the body language of this guy. He's getting beat and he's looking behind him and his head's dipping. That's lack of confidence right now. Ryan O'Reilly sounds like a broken man after these hockey games. And look, it was his mistake and Saturday's loss. But for him to go out there and be like, oh, I just can't do that. It's a stupid mistake. No, the team needs to be better. So it, to me, it just it, the confidence is shot. Craig Berube said at postgame, it's a mental thing right now because you have a lot of guys who are trying to fix the salute or fix the problem and search for a solution, but they're trying to do it themselves rather than as a group of 12 guys. And another thing too, the, the power play, we talk about the power play, the power play can help you kind of bail yourself out, get you some offense, especially when you're struggling, you've got a man advantage. It's two for 18 during this six game losing streak. The power play has got to be better and they look good over the weekend. I thought the power play looked the best it had all year against Colorado. They had yeah. a couple one. I don't know. If, I can't remember if it was Saturday or Friday, but they had one where they had the puck in the zone. Oh, the whole it was time. Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they the just, can't score yeah <laughs> they've got to get it in the back of the net and two for 18 yeah. that's what's going to help break the losing streak and when you go up against the vegas gold Knights, you have to score on the power plate and you have yeah. to stay out of the box i, I don't I, I didn't like the lines on saturday nor friday i just didn't like the way that they looked i love what craig Bruby's done with the lines for tonight's game so if you're curious what he's doing uh alex do you have those up in front yeah. of you so uh he's he's basically he's moving mike hoffman up to the top line with ryan o'reilly and david perron so he's putting o'reilly and perron back together and hoffman's on the left wing i like that decision because it O'Reilly just creates so much opportunities and, and Mike Hoffman is going to benefit from that. And you're putting Perron back. back yeah. yeah. You're putting Schwartz and Shen back together, which is a great decision. And you're putting Kairou with those guys. If you remember correctly, Kairou had all of his success playing with Schwartz and Shen before Schwartz was injured. Then he's put Tarasenko on the quote unquote third line. If you want to look at it that way, but really what he's doing, he's building depth with his forward group. He's putting Tarasenko on a wing with Robert Thomas and Ivan Barbashev. To me, this is the best decision I think the Craig Berube made because you're taking Thomas off of those top two lines. You're keeping chemistry that has been there all season, and you're putting Tarasenko with Robert Thomas. Hollow notes 2.0, boys? Anyone? Yeah, for no, sure. Anyone? Something like Maybe that. Maybe not. But you're putting Barbashev with him on that left wing. He's not on the fourth line anymore. Hmm. I think somebody has been. Yeah, someone smart said that. That was Alex. I, I, I vaguely remember somebody saying, hey, I think the best way for them to get that third line going is to put Barbashev yeah. on the left wing. Alex said that with Robert smart. Thomas. Sure it was Alex. Yeah, it was, was Alex. Alex. It was Alex. No, now, the, the one change that he made compared to the one that I put together was <laughs> I had Kairu with Thomas and Tarasenko <laughs> with Shin and Schwartz. Yeah, but I, you know, my my it's lines good. otherwise yeah. were. And I I've said all year I think Tyler Bozak by the end of the season will be on your fourth yeah. line and he will be playing that Alex Steen role that we saw during the Cup run. It's now, a smart point by you. I don't, I very rarely have good hockey takes. Very rarely. This is one that I'm going to chalk up as a win you for me. You need to. You need to because it's a good decision by you. I mean, look, before Barbashev was injured, he was like the sole per- person that was going out there and forechecking. And yeah. I don't think he can do that on the fourth line. You give him an opportunity to play with Tarasenko, you're going to create space. Robert Thomas has the opportunity. He just needs to shoot the puck more. The fourth line, I'm okay with. Frankly, I think I would take Sanford out and I'd put Sammy Blay in because we haven't seen him for a while. And Sanford really hasn't given the Blues that much. Uh, But the fourth line is Kyle Clifford with Tyler Bozak and Zach Sanford. 
Well, I am I am officially pressing the button. I'm I'm ready to panic about this. I'm not panicking about this team moving forward. I'm panicking about I don't know that this team's going to have enough time to be able to make the playoffs because as of today, they are as close to seventh in their division as they are to fourth in their division. And that's super concerning to me. I mean, it, it you really could get passed up by San Jose. If you told me at the beginning of the year that there was any chance whatsoever of San Jose about 40 games into this thing um, being at the same level as the Blues, I would have told you no way. Yeah. What what happened? This you is that's a nightmare. You realistically could be looking at being seventh in this division by the end of the year if you don't find a way to turn at it around. At the end of the week. Yeah. You, but, you could be seventh in this division by the end of the week if things go poorly. But on the flip side of that, and again, maybe this is just the optimist in me trying to be the optimist in me. You play seven games against the Minnesota Wild for the rest of this season. If you find a way to go on a little bit of a run here, I mean, you could have a 10-point swing that puts you right back into the conversation with Minnesota to where you're sitting in third place going into the postseason. It goes one or two ways. The problem is you have to fix the problem that's in your own end, and I think the Blues are trying to do that, but they have to have a breakthrough game. It's 12-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, Xavier Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinals outfielder, is going to join us on the show. Coming up next, though, the most encouraging sign from the weekend was a player we were all looking forward to seeing. Man, did he look good. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, I'll, I'll play the role of a villain. Wait, you don't all that all the time? Major League Baseball just made an announcement. Nick Castellanos has been suspended for two games, and he has been fined an undisclosed amount for his, quote, aggressive actions and for instigating a benches clearing incident. Nolan Arenado, Jordan Hicks, Yadier Molina, A. Eugenio Suarez, and Jesse Winker were all fined an undisclosed amount of money. There was nothing handed down to Jake Woodford. Before you get into it, did he not instigate an aggressive behavior on the field and instigate a a bench-clearing brawl? Sure. He did. That is 100% correct. There is no way for me to dismiss that. Nick Castellanos should not have been suspended for this. Major League Baseball was promoting this incident over the weekend. It was the outside of yet last night. We all watched her. Some of us watched the uh, Shohei Otani show before he got hurt. Nice. That was the most exciting thing I saw over the weekend was watching Shohei Otani throw the hardest pitch of the season and have the highest exit velocity of the season all in one inning. Um, Nick Castellanos and everything that emerged from that inning with the Cardinals was the second most exciting thing that I saw all weekend in baseball. That wasn't a brawl. There was no fighting that actually took place in that game. He was excited He flexed over a pitcher. Yeah, it's frowned upon. And yeah, I get it. If you're mad at him, you should view him as a villain. All of that can be true. This dude shouldn't have been suspended. Yeah, that's weak. It's your major league baseball. That is weak. It's ridiculous because you try and promote like the whole the whole reason Theo Epstein got his role is to try and get younger eyes to the game and to suspend somebody for what happened on the field is like suspending somebody for saying let's blanking go after a walk-off homer and flipping the bat because both of those 
Both of those start bench clearing brawls. Absolutely. So to suspend somebody for two games. And now if you would have fined him, okay, sure. I get it. Because, you know, maybe if he just would have done the Ric Flair woo instead of the, you know, let's effing go over Jake Woodford, then we might be talking a little differently. But to suspend a guy for two games for that, that's why people don't like watching baseball sometimes. And I would imagine, just to play devil's advocate to my own argument, I would imagine some of this is the protocols. Yep, that's what I was just about to say. They've, they've got to be super careful with all of that. But, man, like, come on. you're. If we're doing this, well, then don't allow the Rangers to have full capacity in their stands tonight. If, if the reason that you're suspending Castellanos is because they, quote, unquote, broke protocols, well, then for the love of money, don't allow the Rangers to have 40,000 fans in the stands. They won't. They'll have closer to, like, 15 or 20. We all know that. Like four. But... Don't people you're sending unbelievable mixed messages with with the way that you're handling some yep. of these things. So it, it can't be the protocol violations. That's nonsense. Well, and then especially for the way that Castellanos uh, talked post game. That's not a guy who continued his taunt. You know, like that's not a guy who continued to run his mouth. It was a guy who basically came out and said what happened, said that I was fired up and, you know, it got out of hand. I mean, you just you can't. You can't suspend a guy from the game when he's bringing excitement to the game because then that loses the excitement. Because if if I'm Castellanos, well, I can't do that again because I don't want to get suspended. I don't want to get a paycheck taken away. It's just silly, man. And Joel Sherman of the New York Post just tweeted this out, and he makes a really good point here, I think, as well. He said Castellanos has decided to appeal the two-game suspension, so my guess is it's going to get appealed down to one at at a maximum. He says, I think that his case should be simple. You go to Major League Baseball and say, I thought it, I thought that you wanted to, one, let the kids play, and two, protect players from dangerous actions on the field. If that's the case, then how in the world did I end up getting suspended here? Mm-hmm. Case closed. Yep. This should not have been a, suspend, a suspension. If you wanted to find him, I'm with you, Alex. Go ahead and find him. Right. I, all of the players that were a part of the scrum afterwards as well, if you want to find all of them, that's fine. If that's your message, quote-unquote, that you're sending no issues with that whatsoever because it did incite what was a benches clearing situation. You want to avoid that. I get it. But this was not worthy of a suspension. We can all see that. We can all see that this was a exciting moment. He got overly amped up. He flexed in the pitcher's face. And that is letting the kids play. If you hate him for it. Cool. Awesome. I'm with you. But come on now. Let's yeah. let's not take this too far. All right. What I did want to talk about here was the debut of the guy that we all wanted to see over the weekend. Guys, Nolan Arenado's really good. Oh, I didn't expect that. He's he's pretty darn good at baseball. And I thought the most encouraging sign from the weekend from Nolan Arenado was two things. It wasn't even the home run, because we knew he could hit homers. We knew he could play gold glove defense. All of that was on display over the weekend. It was actually a couple of the things that he did and said. So the first thing was him getting involved in that aforementioned uh, benches clearing situation. Mm-hmm. He showed us the fire that we've heard so much about. That was super encouraging that he's already got his teammates back like that. The other thing was something that he mentioned after the game. I think it was on Saturday because he was asked about the lineup situation and him batting third instead of cleanup, which is where he spent the majority of his time recently in Colorado. And he was asked on if he likes hitting near the top of the lineup. I got to be honest with you, Alex, I was a little surprised by his response here. Yeah, I don't mind it at all, you know, whatever they feel they need to do. I've always 
love hitting fourth. Um, that's always been the position I love the, the most, but you know, I've hit a lot in third, so it doesn't feel like something different or something that I'm not used to. I'm definitely used to it. So either or, you know, I don't care. I used to take it, you know, kind of serious about where I hit, but ever since I got traded, I don't really care anymore. Just wherever they want me to be, I'll be. Read between the lines here a little bit. I don't think it's too much to do so. I bet you he would have complained about this in Colorado. I bet you he would have been like, I'm not hitting third. I'm a cleanup hitter. You're going to put me in the cleanup bowl. That's right. that's where I play. I play at third and I bat fourth. I like the fact that already you're seeing him at the point of his career where he's like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care where I hit. You want to put me first, seventh? I don't care. Let's win. And if we can do some winning with me batting third, awesome. I loved hearing that from Nolan Arenado. I thought that was maybe the most encouraging thing that we heard or saw from him all weekend long. Yeah, it's a dude who cares about the team winning. And I think he would say that in Colorado because he knows that the best chance for that team to win is him hitting cleanup rather than anywhere else. Whereas I think the mindset from Nolan Arenado now is I don't care where I hit because this is such a good lineup. It's stacked with what they are. And I know, save the texts while you're driving of, ooh, they only hit a couple runs in the last two games. I get it, but Nolan Arenado looks at this lineup and says, you could hit me two, you could hit me one, you could hit me at nine. And he's still probably confident that this team is going to score runs because he finally has a chance to win, and I don't think he felt that in Colorado for a long time. He also talked, uh, I want to play this one for you as well, after the game on Saturday about uh, Nolan Arenado hitting after Paul Goldschmidt and what it was like to be able to see that. Pretty surreal moment. When I was going up for my first at bat and he was on second, I was like, wow, I can't believe, you know, I'm here right now. And this is, <laughs> I got Goldschmidt hitting in front of me. So it was really cool to be a part of it. Happy to, just really happy to be here. And like I said, hopefully, you know, the goal is to win and uh, hopefully we can do our jobs and get on base and help the squad. The one thing they didn't do, there was a moment, I think it was in Saturday's game or was it Sunday where you had two on and I think it was one out. You had Goldie or it was two on and uh, no out. Goldie, Arenado, and DeYoung coming up to the plate. We're not able to get those runners in. Got to be able to fix that, but it's one inning and one game. I'm not super worried about that right now. Overall, I thought both Goldie and Arenado looked really good over the weekend. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinals outfielder, going to join the show. He also spent a little bit of time down in Miami. We'll talk to him about the... I'll keep wanting to say brawl. It wasn't a brawl. Bench's clearing situation, what he thought about that, what he thinks about Nick Castellanos being suspended for two games. Xavier Scruggs joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy for this conversation. Xavier Scruggs joining the show. He's a former Cardinals first baseman. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Xavier, I did want to ask you about this uh, this news that just came down. Nick Castellanos getting a two-game suspension. And I went over to your Twitter account, and from what I understand, it appears that you certainly have an opinion on the matter. Thanks for hopping on with us today, man. What did you think about the news? Nick Castellanos, two-game suspension for his actions in Saturday's game. Well, first of all, guys, thank you for having me. And, yeah, man, I think the bigger issue here is that Nick Castellanos – he absolutely destroyed the Cardinals pitching this week, this opening day weekend, man. I'm, I, I could care less about the actual suspension. Yes, he deserves the suspension, but the Cardinals should be more upset about how this guy absolutely destroyed them. So 
yes, he deserved that suspension. I was happy to see that it got the guys fired up a little bit, but now you got to take some of that animosity into Miami and do what the Reds did to the Cardinals. Xavier, why do you feel like he deserved that two-game suspension? I'm curious. I think the biggest thing is when he first got hit, um, he kind of did a little of the taunting with the ball, throwing the ball back over to the pitcher, or acting like he wanted to throw it back to the pitcher. That was part of it. And then sliding in with the antics of, you know, going over Woodford like that, I was disappointed in that. But at the same time, I understand there's a lot of energy going. There's a lot of emotions first, first couple of games going on. So, uh, but, but he just went a little bit over the top and we didn't need all that. Xavier, one of the things that I so I I don't love the fact that he got suspended, but I guess the thing the reason why I have a problem with it is because you've got baseball that's promoting let the kids play and they they've got all of the commercials that have been running especially last year going into the postseason of the bat flips and everything and they say that they want to see the emotion and then we see it actually in a game with Nick Castellanos and I understand that it led to something that nobody wants you don't want the benches to clear I get that but I, everybody else got a fine and he ends up getting suspended it, it seems silly with those mixed messages to me am I missing something here yeah no you're you're not missing anything there's definitely mlb wants the guys to play let the kids play you know have some fun show the emotion but the bigger issue here is you don't want the teams you know leaving the dugouts and all getting together one because of the big covid issues that we had last year so they're going to continue to take that seriously and they don't want guys getting all together around like that and two you don't want any animosity toward the you know the future and, and anything else that can pop off after something like that happens so it continues to you know become a bowling ball effect in that way and you don't want anything else in the future Xavier let's talk about this Cardinals pitching um, not a great Oof. weekend against the Cincinnati Reds where were you coming into this season on the Cardinals pitching staff and after those three games against Cincinnati where are you now no, there's there's definitely question marks. You know, we you you talk about guys like KK that are out right now as well as well as Miles Mikolas. So you have the question marks there in the starting rotation, but the bullpen was where I really was disappointed, and they they really got hit around. There's two guys that actually had good weekends in Alex Reyes and and Jordan Hicks. But those are guys that you're not going to be able to depend on all the time because they're going to have a limiting, uh, innings restrictions. So those other guys like a, a Cabrera, a Hesley, um, you know, a, a Miller, those guys got to get going. And, and Woodford, if he's going to be a long man of sorts, he's got to get going as well. But, you know, let's not get too, too rung up on it because it's only the opening three games. They'll be all right. This is the Cardinals always pitch well. So um, I, I look for them to bounce back and, and take into Miami uh, a, a step better because they're going to need to do that to, in order to be at the top of this division. Xavier, when you get off to a rough start, I know you were on the hitting side of things, but also kind of looking at it from the pitching side of things here for the Cardinals, how much of that does it become a mental situation for these guys where they go out in their next outing and they need to have a better performance just to get themselves right mentally as much as it is physically? Yeah, I, I don't think it's too much of a burden, especially because it's only been a few games. You know, you have 162 games. You give yourself up to a certain point to where it's like, okay, I really need to get going. But after three games, you still got the same mentality as you went into the, as the season started. So you're not putting too much pressure on yourself. I think one of the bigger issues here is understanding that there's, there's teams in the division, maybe the Reds that weren't looked at to be such a hot team, 
all these teams in the division have some firepower. They have something, uh, maybe besides the, the Pirates, but all these other teams are the ones that are going to be coming after the Cardinals because they're at the top. They're going to be coming after a Brewers team. So the division is not going to be easy whatsoever. You have to remember from the beginning, you have to get it going. As a hitter, as a pitcher, whatever it is, you want to go into the season, gain some momentum because that it, it, you want to start well, and that will help carry you into the middle, the dog days of summer, and that's important. You know, Xavier, if you watch those three games, which I'm sure you did, Nolan Arenado had a presence in all three of them, which is something that the Cardinals fans have been hoping for. Uh, you've been in that situation before where you're a new face with a new organization. How difficult is it, is a season like this going to be for a Nolan Arenado who, yes, he's pumped he's on a, on a competitor and he's on a contending team, but of course you, you are the new guy in a franchise. Yeah, new guy in a franchise, you always want to, you know, make a good impression. You always want to show the fans that you're there to to really compete. You want to show them that you're the reason why they picked you up. Um, but like you said, he's going to have a lot of protection around him in a goldsmith and and definitely he's going to have Dylan Carlson um, he's going to have some people that are around him, a young who started off really hot as well. Um, so he has the pieces around him and I feel like he has less pressure because it's not all just a him show like it was in, in the rock with the Rockies organization. Now he's coming along. He's got some other guys in the lineup. It's going to be a big help, a big boost to him. Jeff Albert's going to continue to work with him and continue to get him better. If, if you can even get an Arenado better at the plate. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's the perfect fit and I'm excited to see how how far he can personally go himself, but also take this team collectively um, as the rest of the season goes. Former Cardinals first baseman Xavier Scruggs joining us here on 101 ESPN. Xavier, what else are you looking forward to seeing from this Cardinals team this year? We've talked a little bit about the pitching struggles. We talked about Arenado. What else are you really honing in on that you want to see, whether it be in a series against the Marlins or moving forward in this upcoming year? I think series against the Marlins, I, I just want to see them continue to compete, especially when the relievers come in. I want to see those guys get strike one and continue to compete and, and blow guys away. They, there's some good arms in that bullpen, and I want to see those guys really succeed this year because I know they can. Another thing is I want to see these young outfielders really impressed with the bat. Um, I, I spoke on a Carlson, but I also want to see a Justin Williams get going. I know he's a good young player, and I know he can provide some thump, but he just has to start it off. He had a slow, obviously no hits these last few games, but he's got to get it going as well. Um, looking for uh, an O'Neill to continue what he's doing, continue to hit some home runs. Um, but yeah, this, this outfield, they got to produce in order for this team to do well, top four guys, they're going to do what they need to do, but the, I need these young outfielders to produce at a better clip. Uh, also another point, I, if you guys were watching, I, I'm really impressed with, um, Edmund over there at second base, yeah. uh, obviously losing a gold glove and a Colton Wong. Edmund made some really nice plays. He's stepping in nicely. So I'm hoping to see more of that as the continue as the uh, season continues to roll on. Xavier, what needs to happen f- from Justin Williams's end to to start hitting that way? Is is it more of a confidence thing when you're a young guy who's getting that shot in the majors? Is it just sticking to your own plan? Yeah, yeah, you, you're you're absolutely right. I think it's a little bit of little bit of both. It's you got to be able to make adjustments, right? But also understand. Hey, you've done what you needed to do. You made the opening day roster. Take some of the pressure off yourself. You know it's 
pitch by pitch, game by game. Understand that you can lean on the hitting coaches. You can lean on the video. You have a lot of resources um, that you can use. Now it's just about just letting your abilities take over. Let your athletic abilities take over. This is an athletic kid. Um, he, he does have some juice at the plate. Uh, I think he needs to focus a little bit more on hitting the opposite way. That's what he does well. When he's going well, he's hitting the the opposite field. He's not pulling the ball. So if he can get back to doing that, just get back to the basics, he'll be all right. Xavier, what's that like? You got your first extended call-up with the Cardinals in June of 2015. What's that like getting an opportunity when you know if you make the most of it, you've got a real chance to maybe stick around? But, I mean, for Justin Williams, it's likely a month tryout, basically, while Harrison Bader is out of the lineup. How tough is that? What what kind of goes on mentally as you're, as you're looking at a situation like that? It's, it can be tough because one thing is you, you want to fit inside the clubhouse. You want to make sure that, you know, the guys like you. You want to make sure that you, get, you got your boys, you can hang out with them, everybody's talking to you. But at the same time, you're, you're worried about performing on the field. So you're really trying to make yourself feel comfortable. And it's about doing those things that can make you feel comfortable, whether it be in the outfield, whether it be base running, whether it be hitting. The biggest thing is just getting comfortable. I remember my, you know, like, like you touched on, 2015 coming in, when you know you have an opportunity, like a tryout, it's like, hey, you know you're going to be in there. You may not be in there every single day, but you know you're going to be in there. So take that pressure off of you. Try to relax. Understand you're going to get an extended amount of at-bats. So just do what you need to do. You know, continue to just put the ball in play. Don't think about hitting a home run because you already got home run hitters on the team. You don't have to think about being a big run producer. Just get on base, and then the then that'll start start seeing pitches better. Take your walks. Then good things start to happen. It all starts to put together in place. Xavier, just as a little bit of a follow-up there, you mentioned you got to find out who your guys are that you're going to be hanging out with the most often. Who were your guys on the Cardinals? Who were the guys that, whether it, you still do today or at least back then in 2014, 2015, you were hanging out with most often? Yeah, my, my guys. Man, I came up with Tommy Pham. That was one of my guys. Colton Wong was a, was a big one. Uh, Greg Garcia was another one. Matt Carpenter. Um, a, a bunch of these guys I came up Waka, who's now with the Rays, too. All these guys are on different teams now, but <laughs> uh, came up with all these guys. And just the, the big thing was un- understanding that these guys got my back. Like, you know, if I struggle, you know, I'm able to lean on somebody else for some advice, maybe just be able to talk to them. Um, and I think that's sometimes the struggle is you come up as a young player. It's like, okay, who do I need to lean on to for some advice? Who can I ask for help? And that's the, that's the good thing about having a goldsmith and Arenado on the team because these guys are veterans, have been through it in a long, have been through it a long time. A Yadier Molina, a Wainwright, you got these guys, you got to lean on them. The, the young outfielders, they got to lean on them because that is stuff is really important as you start to establish yourself as an everyday major leaguer or somebody that's filling a certain role during that time. Xavier, Tommy Pham is one of my favorite players in baseball. Do you have a good Tommy story, whether it be about his intensity that we all know so much about, the competitiveness? Do you have a good Tommy Pham story that you could share with us? Man, Tommy Pham, he's he's one I always say that he needed his own TV show, man. (laughs) Uh, There there was so many – a Tommy Pham reality show, man. That's what he needed. But there was so many times that – and I just want to touch on his hard work and where he's at now has gotten him to that point. Um, There were times when I would show up to the stadium 
and maybe about two o'clock for the game for a seven o'clock game. And fam would already be sweating and, and drenched in sweat. He, I said, fam, what, what time did you get here? I thought we were going to hit together at two o'clock. He said, man, I've been up here since 11 a.m. I got to get my swing. I got to get my swing figured out. I'm like, fam, you're hitting 350 with 20 some homers. What do you, what's wrong with your swing? So he it just reminds you that this is a guy that's always trying to find ways to get better. Um, I know he's going to have a bounce back year after last year. It went through some injuries and some COVID issues, but, um, um, another guy people should definitely keep their eye out for. Absolutely. We will certainly do that. Well, Xavier, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family. We look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, fellas. You guys take it easy. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinals first baseman, joining us here on 101 ESPN. To be a fly on the wall, I w- next time we have Xavier Scruggs on, now that I know that he's, he's boys with Tommy Pham, I would love to know about those flights because – for those that don't know, when they get on the flights, when there's non-COVID seasons, uh, there's typically card games that are taking place. I would love to know who, who the guys were on the Cardinals team that were super competitive in those Cardinals games. I've got a feeling. I don't know if it was cards or if it was dominoes, but they sometimes those are both the, the, the go-to games. I have a feeling Tommy Pham gets a little intense in those games. I don't think that's a feeling. I think that's a fact <laughs> that he gets intense with those games. Like, let's be honest here. That BK, that Memphis Mafia group, though, like, uh, they were so much fun to watch come up at the same time. Like, with Pham and Scruggs. Like, Scruggs, when he came up, like, they were thinking this was the next big first baseman for the Cardinals for how good his minors were. That team was pretty good. 2015 yeah. was Colton a fun Wong, season for the Cardinals. Garcia, and now, but if I'm not mistaken, Mike Schilt was the manager that time, either for Memphis or Double A. Yeah, I think. Think, was it Springfield? I, I think he was in the system. I'd have to go back and look in 2015 where he was at. I, I want to say he might have been at AAA at that point. Yeah, but. but I mean, that's why those guys are so close is because there was all of them. I mean, Harrison Bader was probably a part of that group as well in 2015. So it was a fun group of guys, man. It was fun watching them in the in the Cardinals clubhouse. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. From what I understand, Tanner has a junk drawer story for us today. What you got for us, man? I have a million of these things, by the way. He's got a list of them. He sits at home and he just comes up with them. (laughs) I don't come up with them. They're not made up. Yeah, they are. If they were, I'd be making a lot of money probably. But yeah, so I was scrolling through the interweb and I found something about a yacht and I, I you know i wouldn't mind going on a cruise and i saw this and i went, definitely can't go on this cruise but a yacht or yeah, a cruise a yacht those are two very different things first of all you said oh, interweb. Well, sorry, that's such an says, old person that, thing to say <laughs> this says super yacht but i'm pretty sure it's going to be on cruises when i read this so what it is is at the bottom of the boat they have a it's like a little cylinder room and it can have up to seven people in it and it, it's like a little lounge. There's kind of a couch there. There's a table. In the picture, there's champagne. And what it does is when you go into the room, it will slowly extend down into the water beneath the ship. So you have something that's dangling from the bottom of the ship, and you can see out into the ocean. And it has lights that will kind of light up the area around you. So I'm I'm chilling with the sharks? That's what you're telling me? Yeah, but you're not in like a shark cage. 
No, you're you're in a a lounge that is surrounded by sharks. That has the ultimate opportunity or, to be a liability because are there fish? windows. Yeah, so the whole it's the probably whole a thing glass is windows. Thing. This is like the ultimate liability. Glass. Yeah, this is a liability. Welcome to the Titanic. You're gonna bounce into a freaking rock or something. The glass is gonna crack. The person's gonna die, and then game over. That cruise ship's, ship's gonna going be down. sued. Well, I don't know if the ship's gonna be going. Well, down. there's a hole in that. Water's gonna come in that. Fill up. You know. I don't think that's how that works. This I appeals so. to you? Yeah. You want to be under the water with all of the, the life forms that we don't know anything about? Yeah, why There's not? There's like 70% of the ocean that oh, we just we have I no forgot, idea what's happening. I forgot there. BK's afraid of the ocean. Wait, so you're afraid you? of the ocean? I'm not afraid of it. Like, I'll go in it. You don't know what's out there? I'll go in it. You're like, I won't touch it. I'm good. You I'll, go to I'll a pool, pool when you go to an ocean. Yeah, we've talked about this. I will go in the water. I'm just not going snorkeling or scuba diving in the water. Unless I'm going, um, I'll go, I'll go uh, scuba diving. I can't actually. My ears. Um, wow, that was such a millennial <laughs> thing to say. Wait, you'll go scuba diving, but you won't go snorkeling. You'll do the one where you're all the way submerged in the water. I would go snorkeling. I, I would go scuba diving, but yeah. my the pressure, I'm just, I'm out. Um, oh, my, my ears will hurt, and then yeah. I get water in my nose. I just, I can't handle it. That, that was not nice. I didn't appreciate anything about that. That was very unkind. You just didn't like it because it sounded exactly like it. Fair. Um, <laughs> I I don't need any of that nonsense. Unless I'm going boogie boarding, I don't need to be venturing out into those waters. Boogie boarding? That's got to be more dangerous than yeah. in, a, in a glass how, how container. Wait, boogie boarding, yeah. that's no. Boogie boarding's a blast, and I'm not looking into the water. I'm looking straight ahead if I land back in to the water. Yeah, but I don't know what's underneath me. I don't have to worry about it. The entire goal of being able to see from this lounge area, I would imagine, is that you can actually see what is on the outside. I don't need that. Yeah, that's the point. I'm not trying you to explore the ocean. You just need to pretend there's nothing in there and you're fine. But we know that's not true. Oh, no, well, yeah, but you just pretend. Have you guys seen, by the way, Sea Spiracy, the new documentary on Netflix? No. I have more time to think. Watch Wait, the what? I, I got a baby now. I there's don't watch a, Netflix anymore. Good point. <laughs> there's a new documentary on Netflix called Sea Spiracy. S E A Spiracy. I'm pretty sure it's convinced Kara that we need to go full full vegetarian. Not to. It's. I mean, it's literally the plot. Uh, it, it's basically about the treatment of. Oh, spoiler! Damn it, BK. I mean, it's it's the entire show. Like, it, it's basically about how. Um, commercial fishing is ruining the ocean and I just sometimes I wonder what they bring aboard you know I don't need any of that in my life was I supposed to have the tinfoil music ready for that one or no uh, if it was it was a poor tinfoil take by but. the way this is what I've been searching for on the computer this whole time just because you know we want to know what Cast. now here's BK and Ferrario is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I mean, look, yo, like I wore 93 in the ribs. That don't exactly feel good. You know, I asked Yachty if it was an accident. He said, of course it's an accident. All right. Yachty's dude. Yachty's a boss. Yo, like, all right. I give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, all right, it's an accident. Take my stuff off. I even asked the pitcher if he wanted the ball back. You know, just out of sometimes pitchers, he's coasting. I don't know. 
there I go to first and the only thing I'm thinking about doing is scoring that was Nick Castellanos after the game on Saturday after the benches clearing incident I gotta be honest guys I know I'm supposed to hate him I don't I actually found myself liking him more and more both during the incident and then afterwards with some of the comments like you just heard there after the game so Tanner, you said that you've got all the comparisons for Disney people, right? Disney characters for yeah, you're sports. You're our Disney oh, guy. Crud, I didn't think we were actually going to come I can't to me believe here. that we actually got comparisons on the text line 65780. Oh, yes. Did we really? Disney characters, who would you compare to Nick Castellanos? I was unaware that this was our audience, but we got one from the 314 that says he is Scar from Lion King. We got yeah. a couple of Gaston's on the text line. I I, I Wait, think Gaston's Gaston? a great <laughs> Guys, this is where we respond. This kid just played a Little Mermaid song. I feel song, like I know who Gaston is. Who is Gaston? Hold on, un momento. No, don't Google it. That <laughs> just right. makes it even worse. So Gaston's a solid. We're moving one. forward from that. I like Thank Nick God. Castellanos, and I thought that what he what we saw this weekend oh. was <laughs> was legitimate emotion from a guy in a game, and I'm here for that. I'm all in favor of that. I also don't have an issue though with bat flips. Like I. If we're going to modernize this game and we're actually, as Major League Baseball says that they want to do, if we're going to let the kids play, well, this is part of that. You allow them to celebrate when something good happens, like when the opposing team spikes a pitch in front of home plate. It's a wild pitch. You end up scoring from third. That's an exciting play, especially after you got plunked to go over to first base. But I know a lot of people are not on that line of thinking, including Randy Carricker, who earlier today, um, I, I love Randy. I just disagreed with him with his assessment of this situation earlier today. He was talking about what the Cardinals should have done in response to Castellanos. And he was in favor of plunking him not once, but maybe twice. My biggest issue is that they didn't get their pound of flesh yesterday because they should have hit him. I mean, he took 93. Jordan Hicks should have been brought into the game and he should have taken 102 in the ribs and broken him. That is how baseball used to be policed. Now it is policed by... Major League Baseball and it was announced earlier today that Castellanos has been suspended for two games there are a slew of other guys that have been um, fined in some capacity it's an undisclosed amount I don't think he should have been suspended I don't think he should have been plunked I think that we can just move forward from that and the fans of both teams the Reds fans love him the Cardinals fans hate him and we can move on from that perspective isn't can we not do that anymore in sports I think the plunk I mean look the plunking is is Bob Gibson era. Uh, I mean, like, that's just the problem with with hitting the guy is you're going to get a longer suspension and it's affecting your team. Because, like you said, BK, Major League Baseball dictates the season, not anymore, not the players. Um, You know, after after hearing Xavier Scruggs talk about it and getting a player's perspective, I can I can see where the suspension comes into play because of the flexing and because of basically the taunting. I get it. It's 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 what you want. It's the game. But if you do taunting in basketball, what happens? You're going to get a technical foul. You're not going to get suspended. suspended. No, you're not going to get suspended, but you're going to get a technical foul. And it, the other team shoots a couple of free throws and you move on with life. Right. Like that. that's how it, it works in the game, right? In the NFL, you get a 15-yard flag and then you move on with the game. In baseball, for whatever reason, it's the only sport where like, ooh, do not show up your opponent. In basketball, you got dudes shimmying down the court after they make a shot. Right. In, in college basketball, I just watched Jalen Suggs make an unbelievable shot and his response at the end of the game was, 
was to jump on the scorer's table. At the end of games, you've got guys that are... not taunting the other team, though. That's not standing in the face. How fa- is it not? Jalen Suggs jumping on top of the, 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 the media desk after he hits a game winner is not taunting the other team. That's basically celebrating. I say, I don't view that as taunting. Castellanos was not... Ce- he was celebrating, but if he would have stood up, like I said earlier, if he would have stood up and flexed in front of Woodford and said, woo, then I don't think we're having this conversation. The fact that it was let's effing go in Woodford's face was taunting him. You can't they deny say that crap all the time, man. But, but you can't deny that he's taunting him. If you're sure. going to taunt him, you're going to invoke guys to do exactly what they did, and Major League Baseball doesn't want that. And if if you are really going to crack down on that kind of language on the field, good luck playing baseball. No, it's not the language. Like, it's what it invoked on the field. Because, again, if Castellanos is just jumping up and down to the bolt, to the dugout after that score— Yadier Molina is not charging him. We're not get Woodford's going right back to the mound if Castellanos is celebrating to the, the dugout. The fact that he stood over him and flexed and taunted him is why Major League Baseball, I would assume, has a problem with this. I just I, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I know there are a lot of people um, that disagree with me on this, and that's that's fine, but. Man, the dude celebrated scoring a run. And when he scored the run, based on the way that the play was made, the pitcher was next to him. I think he would have celebrated the exact same way, whether Jake Woodford was beneath him or not. The dude was super excited about scoring, and he flexed towards his dugout. Like, what what are we doing here? I don't think he flexed towards his dugout. He he flexed in the face. Like, he looked Woodford in the eyes when he did that. And I, I think part of it, too, was when you go back and look at it, Woodford landed on top of him, too. Yeah. It was just, which was just the play at the plate. It wasn't anything there. But I sure, think that nothing adds, malicious. I think that adds to it, too. The guy lands on you. You're called safe. I'm, I'm standing up the same way. I'm standing up, and I'm going to say, you know, woo, F, you know. But you're not looking. If you, as soon as you make, I am. You hit me with ninety six. Well, then you're going to get the suspension, it. though, because that's if it's in, if it's invoking a bench clearing brawl, that's what you're going to get. I, who invoked the bench clearing brawl? In my opinion, was the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't think Cassianos invoked oh, that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yadi or Molina charged him, but again, if he doesn't do what he did, Yadi's not charging him. I still don't think he deserves a suspension because. It's what baseball wants. We want the excitement around the game. And what are we talking about? We're talking about baseball right now. And it's not just because we're in St. Louis. Cincinnati's talking about the same thing, I guarantee you, today. And they're 2-1, and one, and they're talking about how it switched momentum. And by the way, I thought Michelle Smallman made a fantastic point as they were making as they were talking about this earlier today on 101 ESPN on Carriker and Smallman. And they were talking about this. She disagreed with Randy's point of view on it as well. Here's what she had to say earlier today. Can you imagine a Cardinal player standing over a fallen player and thinking he's a tough guy? Yeah, I can. Who would do that? I think in the heat of the moment, sometimes you're not even thinking and you're fired up and something like that just happens. And this is a group of passionate players. And I love that. I love that we're talking about this. I love this for baseball. Baseball needs more of this. Baseball needs guys like Castellanos yeah. pulling antics like this and there to be yeah. some sort of animosity and us to be talking I about. I agree 100%. Baseball needs all of this because this is I was this is a national story. Again, think, think about that. Baseball is so regionalized and they talked about this Nationally. Yeah, a sports center is playing NFL mock draft, you know, 7.52. <laughs> but as soon as this happens, this is the the headline of that show. I was getting set for pregame. Like, I'm listening to it on my way while I'm working on it. But as soon as I heard the call, 
I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to get that up on my phone. I pulled the video up and I'm watching. Baseball needs all of this, but I'm... I'm not trying to defend it because I loved it. I'm just saying I can see from from Scruggs's perspective and from the people that say, oh, you should have been suspended. I can see where that comes from. But damn, is it exciting when this happens in baseball? Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line. I, I had a feeling we would get this text and I, I get it. I understand where, where they're coming from, from the six, three, six guys. Do you want to see a 10 year old do what Nick uh, Castellanos did on Saturday? That's why he got suspended. I don't want to see a 10 year old do what Nick Castellanos did because that's not good sportsmanship in little leagues. Yeah. I think that the conversation, if you have a 10-year-old, and I don't have kids, so parent your, your kids however you want to. That's that's your own thing. But my conversation that I would have in particular, if I had a 10-year-old child who saw that, I would say, if you make it to the big leagues, you can do that. Yeah. Until then, you can't do that. Yeah. They get paid millions of dollars to play a game. This is their profession. And when you get to that level... Go ahead and taunt, do whatever. I th- th- that is that is something that you earn by making it to that level. But in the meantime, no. In little leagues, you shouldn't do that. By the way, Randy asked, I thought an interesting question there at the very beginning of that clip. Uh, Michelle said basically, like I, I enjoyed this. This was good. And Randy said, Can you imagine a Cardinals player do that? And she said, Yeah. He said, Who would do that? I mean, your favorite players would do that. Yadier uh, Molina would do something like that. No Arenado would do that. And that's why we love them. Mm-hmm. Like the same reasons that Cardinals fans loved Chris Carpenter when he would mother bleep a player going down the first baseline. That is what Nick Castellanos did there. The beloved figures in St. Louis sports history, the the red asses that would really get after the opponent. That's what Castellanos was over the weekend, but for the other team. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to love and appreciate that here, if we're going to celebrate what Jordan Bennington did for the Blues, then we also have to look at this and say with kind of clear eyes, I understand it wasn't on our team and we can hate him for it. But if that happened for our team that we were rooting for, we would have loved that here in St. Louis. And we'd be talking all day about how that was the turning point for the Cardinals. And that's a guy that just gained the respect and admiration of his teammates. It's in Cincinnati, so we're not doing that. But that's what the conversation would be today if it was a Cardinal who did it instead of a Red. Yeah, I, I, look, it, it's in the game and it's, it's, it's the exciting portion of the game. But uh, I think when you're going to have actions that way, you're going to get suspended because, again, players and fans don't dictate the league. Major League Baseball dictates the league, and when they don't like something, they're going to put some some penalties out to it, and I think that's what we're seeing from Castellanos. Like it or not, they don't want that to happen more often. Yeah, I'm with you, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Do you think that Cassiano should have been plunked by Hicks when he came no. back to the plate? I don't no. think so. I, I think that's out of baseball, and Hicks throwing 105, and I, I don't even think he got to 100 when he made his appearance this season but that's dangerous and it yeah. should not be in the you're the trying suspension, to injure someone the suspension has ended this there's no room for retaliation right. and if you want to hate him you can but there's no reason that Cassiano's next time we see them or any time this season should yeah. be hit by any Cardinals pitcher it's the same thing in any other sport like if a hockey player scores a goal and he taunts the goaltender and goes off the ice and then later on you're going after his head you're trying to injure the player that's not what this is about if you're going to be upset about it then do something about it on the ice but don't sit there and go after him same can be said don't throw a 105 mile an hour fastball at Castellanos's ribs you go out there and you try and beat them, and then you can celebrate the same way. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 573. Guys, our Cardinals would never stand over somebody like that. I don't mind emotion, but standing over another human being is degrading, and the Cardinals would never do that. They would. And if they did, 
you shouldn't hate him for it. It's okay to show emotion. And did he taunt somebody? Yeah. And Yadier Molina told him exactly how he felt about it. Mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado told him exactly how he felt about it. Hell, Paul Goldschmidt told him exactly how he felt about it. And if you don't like it, what's BT saying? Play better? Mm-hmm. If you didn't like what Nick Castellanos, how he made you feel in that moment. Then go out there and respond. Go play better with your play on the field. And no, Jordan Hicks shouldn't have thrown 105 at him because then Jordan Hicks, we'd be having this same conversation about how he's getting suspended and Jordan Hicks would deserve it because you can intentionally hurt somebody by doing something like that. That's silly. So, no, I don't think that that was something where I'm like, oh, what a horrible human being. What a clown. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Cardinals' response to it afterwards. They basically said, hey, we responded the way that we should have. I agree with that. They responded well. I thought the Reds handled it appropriately. Nick Castellanos, after the game, was having fun with it, honestly, as much as anything. And I thought it was good for the game in general and that it did bring some attention to baseball. That wasn't bad attention. My friends that don't like baseball, they were sending me this video because they were like, this is awesome. This is great. My wife texted me that night and said, why are the Cardinals fighting on the field? Like, <laughs> yeah. come on. My, my wife's watching a, a, a one-month-old right now, and she's finding out what's going on. By the way, great point here from the 314 to back up what that texter said, that a Cardinal would never do it. Cardinals would never do that, yet Yachty did a throat slash mo- um, uh, movement in the playoffs. Yeah. Yachty's fight. If you don't think that those guys have the same fire that Castellanos has, go back and watch that fight on the field at home plate because Nolan Arenado looked like he was ready to take a bat to somebody's ankles. If you want taunting, you move into the realm of the unwritten rules from the 309. I hate know, the unwritten rules. Taunting would be breaking the unwritten rules, and that's kind of where we get back to all of this. Is that's that baseball. He, that, that was the problem. That was why everybody ended up, it, it, it evolved into something is because of the unwritten rules, and there's just nothing that I can do about that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of In or Out coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. the air comfort service tax line. I like days like today because we can all come in at things with different perspectives and we all bring different life experiences Why to it. Why can't we and... be friends? <laughs> Why can't we be friends? I didn't think of that. That's a good one. Thanks. Good. It was quite a moment on Saturday. Now, whether you agree with me or think that you want to punch me in the face today. Well, that's always... all fair. <laughs> Understand all sides of that. Um, but it, it is cool sometimes that baseball can give us such an emotional response to mm-hmm. the first weekend of the season. Yeah. And by the way, I wonder if that same moment happens if there's no fans in the stands in Cincinnati. I don't know that it has the same energy if there's no fans in the like stands. There's 4,000 people there, though. You think that that made a difference? I do. I could, yeah. You could feel it on the broadcast that there was oh, yeah. a different energy in that um in that stadium than there would have been. It's just nice to have that back. You know, I I made a comment to Katie yesterday after we, we, we were with our family on Easter, and I said, boy, for the first time in a year, we had a normal holiday. And, like, for the first time in a year, you had a normal baseball game. Now, I know it's not normal of sold out, but it's normal in the sense of feeling like it's a game rather than, like, even Danny Mac and BT felt like they were there on the broadcast rather than what it felt like last year where you knew they were in a studio, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. There's just a different vibe to yeah. all of it. It feels more normal in a weird way. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. If you've got some suggestions that you want to throw in, hit them at us on the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's start with this one, guys. In or out, the Schwartz Shin Kairu line is the line that will get the Blues back on track this season. Oh, in or out. You're just trying to get me warmed up, aren't you? You're trying to get me to go Hollow Notes 3.0, aren't you? This is going to be a good line, man. Like, I, I love what. Craig Berube constructed this lineup with because he's going back with two lines that have scored offense for him. And right now, the team can't score offense. But if you look at the, the the run that they're in right now in this losing streak, he broke up O'Reilly and Perron. He broke up Kairou and Shen because he's trying to get a different look out there. Guys, the line of Short, Shen, and Kairou, if you remember correctly, played 12 games together this season. They had a 7-3-2 record when they were on the ice together. Now, we all want to look deeper into that. If you're a nerds guy, that's above 500, ladies and gentlemen. I'll take it. They had 33 points combined in 12 games, 14 goals and 19 assists. Schwartz was scoring. Shen was scoring. Kairou was a phenom. This might be the line that can spark some more offense. And I love O'Reilly, Perron, and Hoffman. The three of them haven't been together that much this season. But I'm in. I think this line is going to fix the offensive problems. I'm with you. I'm in. I, I think when these lines were together last, I said Kyra would be better than Tarasenko. Okay. And then, and then the lines got to take up. Care, now Stop trying to take credit on a terrible take. No, no, no. It was good there for a while. <laughs> and then, then Ruby broke him up. And then, you know, now we got to get the band back together. So I'm in. <laughs> Uh, because I, I think the line's uh, going to be successful, but I'm still worried about the Blues. You still hit that panic button? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the problem is they're putting this line together against one of the best teams in the league. Like, even if they look great out there tonight, you're still going up against Vegas, which is one hell of a task to go up against. And Vegas is healthy this time around. Last time that we saw the Blues going up against Vegas, Vegas was not healthy, and they kicked their butt. So I'm I'm still worried about this matchup. But yeah, I'm in on this line being awesome because you know how much I love Schwartz and Shin. Shin's my favorite player on the team. And Kairu, I think Tanner was right. Going into if the if this blues team makes the postseason, we will feel better about Jordan Kairu than Vladimir Tarasenko going into the postseason. Yeah, Tarasenko's gotta clean it up, man. I mean, he's got two goals on the season since he's returned, but the record is not showing improvement of of uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. I will say this about Vegas. They look ugly final score, but if you go back into those games, they were tied or one goal deficit going into the third period. Those games were blown because goaltending let in a couple of weak goals and then the team kind of lost it. The the one where they lost 5-4, that was a close game. The one where they lost 5-1, to one, I never felt like that was all that yeah, close. Yeah, that, that one never felt It was felt, a tie game going into the third period. I know, but that one never felt close. I know that it was a tie game, but that's... It, it felt like that's it felt like, like a baseball game that one team is leading. They've got 12 hits and the other team has none and it's tied zero zero. Like it just that might never feel close. I, I get it. But I mean, every game, if you're in it, it takes one weak bounce that turns in your direction. So, I mean, if you're if you're playing in one goal hockey games, those are games that it, they're not they may not be playing great, but they're still in. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. This one comes from the text line, Alex. Do oh, not get mad at me. Don't get me fired up, BK. Do not get mad at me. From the 314. Always Guys, shoot the messenger. In or out, Craig Berube should be on the hot seat going into next year if the Blues miss the playoffs. This isn't from the text line. This You created this question because you heard me it Saturday did, it, night. It, it from the like 314. That was his phone number. I it saw was, it. wasn't it? Yeah. I do, do you have, have, do you have the you gentleman, go. T-Bone, that went off on a, a baseball postgame show audio? Can you find that for me? Because uh, I'm going to tell a little story, and then we'll get to this audio real quick. So Saturday night, 
Um, it could have been a troll or a tweet, to be honest with you. It was a tweet without question, but I feel like it was a troll. I don't know how we've gotten to this point that Craig Berube is the reason why this team is not good. And the tweets I was receiving was, oh, well, Craig Berube should have been fired weeks ago when this team was trending in the wrong direction. He's not a good enough coach for this team. The message is stale. You could say that all you want, but the product on the ice is not backing up what Craig Berube has shown with success. You won a Stanley Cup two years ago. I know they had Petrangelo, Bowmeister, Steen, Maroon. That's fine. But the coaching method from that team to this team has always been the same. If they're not relaying the message on the ice, then that's a player problem more than it's a coaching problem. When messages get stale, yeah, you fire the coach, but you're really telling the players, hey, you need to play better because you just got another coach fired. Doug Armstrong basically said, I'm not doing this again. So this is more so trying to fit the right message from a roster that is not getting the message from Craig Berube, in my opinion. And so the most that I was hearing from this, where it was, um, you know, Craig Berube needs to be fired. This isn't working. Craig Berube, no, nobody cares what Craig Berube says. Get another coach in there. That didn't work with Mike Yo when Ken Hitchcock was fired. And it didn't work when Mike Yo was fired until Craig Berube finally got this team going. It's more about the buy-in from the group of players. And I think that's where I was at. And Saturday, I was getting real. Basically, I had to wait till I was off the air because I was afraid I was going to have that moment where I basically called people idiots. And I don't like doing that. I think part of what's happening right now is that you look at this lineup and it doesn't look like a Craig Berube-led team. I asked early on in the season and got a little, lot of criticism for it. Maybe fair. Um, what was the identity of this 2021 Blues team? I still don't feel like they have an identity, even today. Yeah. I, I think they're searching. I think they're in the in the middle right now of an identity because Doug Armstrong wants this team to be a little bit more fast, which is why Kairou's got an accelerated role. You have Robert Thomas. You brought in Mike Hoffman's not fast, but he's a faster player in terms of offense. You have Court Tory Krug right now. You just don't have the group of players that can play a physical brand of hockey. It's just different. It, it, it's and different. that doesn't make it better or worse inherently, but it is different. And when you've got a guy like Mike Hoffman, who's trying to fit into this system and you've got on the back end guys like Falk and Krug and Dunn and Wallman, like these are just different types of players than yeah. what the blues won with. Robert Thomas is even, I know he was on the cup team, but look at the line he played with. It was two guys that played such a heavy game that Thomas could excel when you have Kairou playing on a line with Mike Hoffman or Kairou playing on a line with Robert Thomas, one player to forecheck the entire game and create space for two guys that are floating around for a shot. I think the the easiest way to compare what the Blues are right now stylistically to what they were in that run is look at the fourth line. All year, it's been a revolving door of different guys. Yeah. And right now, going into tonight's game, the expectation is Zach Sanford will be on that fourth line. Playing he the right wing. He never, never would have played on the fourth line on that Stanley Cup team because he didn't fit the identity of the fourth line. Yeah. It's just different this year. Again, that doesn't make it better or worse, obviously, with the record. We know, but it's different. And I don't know that for whatever reason, the the pieces have fit together the way that anybody want them, real, wanted them to. Real quick, 217. Baruby asks three lines of scores to play like goons. That's never going to work. That, that that's is, fair. That is a false statement because he does not ask three lines to play like goons. He asks three lines to outwork the opposition. And if you're not outworking the opposition, you're going to get beat. 
And that's where the Blues have, the Blues have been right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we got an all-time great NCAA tournament moment over the weekend. I want to play a final call Olympics. We'll tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Here comes Suggs, long three for the win. Banks at home! Banks at home! Jalen Suggs, a deep banked three! Now, we would have been talking a lot about this game, that audio courtesy of Westwood One, had we not had an unbelievable weekend from the Cardinals and then the Blues, you know, doing what they did. NFL Noy didn't lose in the second round. That too. Um, The game on Saturday night between Gonzaga and UCLA was the game of the tournament and one of the better NCAA tournament games that I've maybe seen ever. It finished with 19 lead changes, which was the most of any NCAA tournament game this season. Alex, UCLA was awesome Mm. in that game. They shot 57% from the field and 47% from three. They were basically perfect all game long from the mid range. They looked like they belonged with Gonzaga. And if not for an unbelievable shot that you just heard there uh, from Jalen Suggs, UCLA had a real shot to win that one and would have set up for a heck of a title game. But in the end, This tournament gave us everything we could have asked for and then some. A ton of upsets in the first couple of rounds. That first weekend was awesome. The only thing that was missing going into the weekend was a true buzzer beater. We got that. And then in the end, I think most importantly, the two best teams in the country, Baylor and Gonzaga, are now going to be playing tonight for the national championship game. What a wonderful tournament this has been. It was a great return to normalcy after this was kind of the unofficial start of COVID last year and Saturday night was just the culmination of it all with an outstanding basketball game between UCLA and Gonzaga. Yeah. Saturday night reminded me how much I missed March madness that we missed last season. Like it, it was one of those things that man, you, you, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And I think we learned that with that victory uh, for Gonzaga. And frankly, this is the way that it should have been. I would have been happy watching UCLA and Baylor go head-to-head in 11 versus 1. And I know people would be like, oh, nobody wants to see that. They're going to get wiped with. But UCLA beat the team that had been undefeated. Like, give me that every day of the week. But give me the two teams that were dominant all season long. And, you know, you can make the argument Gonzaga had a weak schedule, wherever you want to go with it. But but they didn't. However you want to look (laughs) at it that way. You put a team that's undefeated against a team that basically ran the floor in their bracket, and then on top of it, the bracket that was with them on the on the east side. I mean, that was an incredible series for them to get to the championship round. So this was the way it was supposed to be when it comes to March Madness, and this is one of those games that, again, I'm going to be focused in on rather than just, okay, championship game, we're done with it. And you're getting mono v mono in this one. Really oh, great offensive team sick? in Gonzaga. Oh, no, Dad not joke, that kind number of three. That one was bad, too. Uh, but you get a team that's really great offensively in Gonzaga, and then you get Baylor, who's really good yeah. defensively. They've got a bunch of great guards that can guard the ball in the perimeter. So you get kind of the old uh, adage of who, what wins, Styles great offense or great defense. And we learned Wait, that what adage did you Styles use? make fights. And this one has one. a has a great, like, in terms of boxing, right, if you've got two guys that are heavyweights that are going up against each other and both are ready to meet in the middle, 
Like the, those are the best fights when you've got two guys that are more defensive style. Nobody's going to want to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, he did not make for compelling television because he's not a fun boxer to watch. Oh, I guess you're not a part of the money team. These are two teams that play really fun style. They get up and down the court. Gonzaga is the best offense in the country. So it's it's going to be really fun to watch that chess match. And, and I think two. what we learned, too, which makes it more exciting tonight, is that Gonzaga is vulnerable. Right, like every game that they've played, and it's like, oh, it's, it's, least, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a throw. Like they're going to be done with it. Like I even went into that game Saturday, and I was thinking, well, I'll watch the second half because it's going to be a blowout. And then the second half rolls around, it's like, oh shoot, UCLA stayed with them. That's more interesting as well. Can we play a game of Final Call Olympics, guys? Do I have to do anything physical? Nope. You just got to okay. tell me first, second, and third. What are the best calls from the end of that game? So you already heard the Westwood one call. I thought it was great. But let's go ahead and hear the CBS call. This was Jim Nance, Bill Raftery. What did you think of this call? Gonzaga has time to do something. Suggs for the win. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> remains on go do you know how significant of a moment how exciting of a moment you have to get for jim nance to squeak in his voice he He sounded like tanner he squeaked like three times he he sounds like he watches disney movies an awful lot that was cruel so that's contender number one cbs contender number two is cbs but with a little bit of a twist So that was contender number two. CBS is called, but with the Titanic theme. Oh, you were. I was going to see if Tebow knew the movie. Oh, Oh, I knew the the movie. All right. Who's the singer? Uh, Celine Dion. There we go. Well done. By the way, that's number one for me. You don't even have to play the third one. Contender number three is the Gonzaga College Broadcasting Team, IMG, with their final call. Three seconds left. Here's Suggs the other way. Pull up three for the win. Yes! 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 He from 40 at the buzzer. Yes! If you that put the Titanic call sound with that, that might be the number one. Good call. Um, <laughs> that voice that you heard just going, yeah, yeah, that was Adam Morrison. Really? Remember the old mustache? guy with the mustache? Oh, he was fantastic. That mullet and stash was a hell of a combination. He he dropped in the draft a little bit because there were reports that he had really bad body odor. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you looked at him, he kind of looks like a Brent Burns out there. I was about to say, yeah. remember what you said about Brent Burns? It kind of applied to Adam was Morrison it? He was well. a Charlotte Bobcats pick. That's mm. Michael Jordan owned the team at that time, right? Yep. It's a Michael Jordan guy. That's right. Uh, by the way, the Olympics, Celine Dion always wins. Celine Dion won. What always. would you put number two? Are you going IMG or the original CBS call? I'm going CBS. I'd go CBS because Jim Nance squeaking is a lot better than 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 Adam Morrison going, oh. I don't know. That was pretty can, great Can we Morrison. hear the Titanic one again? Well, let's hear the Titanic one one more time. Come on, Tanner. Give it to me. So tonight, everything comes to a finale. Baylor versus Gonzaga. Uh, Charles Barkley. Let's go ahead and hear what Charles Barkley's analysis is for this one. I know it's going to be really insightful. Bark, what do you got for us? The difference between Baylor and Gonzaga and these other teams. Houston got some Joes. 
all these teams got some Joes. These the only two guys got gems and Joes, and that's what win games. A lot of teams got gems and gems. A lot of teams got some Joes. <laughs> Barely Gonzaga, the only team, they're the only two teams in the tournament got gems and Joes. You know, we we have been blessed by having Charles Barkley as a professional analyst for sports because, God, this man is fantastic. That's one of those where you just have to eventually be like, we have these moments, right, where you're oh, yeah. like, I don't know where I'm going yeah, with you this. You just got to call, you got to wave the white flag and say, I've used too many words today. It's just abort mission. Abort, <laughs> that, abort. That team's got gems and the other team's got Joes, but you got to have gems and Joes if you want to win. You can't have two Joes or two gems. Hey, tune in this Thursday as 101 ESPN broadcast live from the Cardinals home opener. Cardinals set to open the home season at Bush this Thursday, starting at 7 a.m. Carriker and Smallman will be out there. We go through our show and then into the fast lane up until six o'clock. We'll be coming to you live for the entire day from the Bud Beer Garden at Ballpark Village, just steps away from the stadium. Opening day is brought to you by Green Envy Lawn Care and by Budweiser. T-Bone, I'll see you there. With Sounds Alex like Ferrario fun. and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, we had Todd Hollinsworth talking about Cardinals versus Marlins. Did that earlier today. We also had Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinals first baseman. It's all available on the 101 ESPN app, 101ESPN.com, presented by I Promise. Crossing things over with BT. Good weekend for you, my man. Dude, it was baseball. It was back. Did it go as planned? No, no, not at all. It didn't go as planned. Carpenter took a walk, which was nice. That's not nothing. No go with the hit off the bench. Gotta love that. I was so excited. Uh, So there are some positives to take out of it. Nolan Arenado ends up looking pretty darn good in a Cardinal jersey. Goldie looks uh, pretty locked in. Uh, But no, not a great weekend when it comes to the results. But just having baseball back, and I know you guys talked about this today, the energy and the vibe of having fans back in the stadium. Not that I want to fast forward through a couple of games because Go take care of business. Got to go take care of the Marlins, who showed teams last year that they're not just going to roll yeah. over. Uh, but I can't wait for Thursday. I can't wait for the home opener. And we're all going to be downtown, 101 ESPN, going to be at, at Ballpark Village the the entire day, like seeing the vibe and the energy around the stadium again because, damn, we missed that last year. Like baseball was baseball, and we still got to have competition and crown a champion, but it didn't feel right. It feels better. Dan mentioned this. I think he mentioned it with you guys. He mentioned it on our show as well that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was saying how baseball can in some ways be kind of the unofficial uh, opening tour for America, really, coming out of this COVID situation. I kind of felt that over the weekend where it was like this feels something resembling normal. Yeah. It's getting warm outside. The Cardinals are on my television. I'm listening to you and Dan on the call. There are, even though not uh, traditional, whatever, 30,000 fans in the stands in Cincinnati, there are some fans there. It looked like a normal weekday game. Good point. And it felt 
normal for me. And there was something about that that was like comforting almost. And so I hope that as we continue going along here, and I know tonight down in Texas, they've got full capacity. That's going to feel pretty normal, I would Dude, imagine. Texas. So it's just for uh, it's their, cool. their home opener, right? Then they go back to. Oh, I thought it was for the season. I don't know. I, I know initially, that? I know initially, I'll have to look it up. But I know initially they said for their, for their home opener, full go. And then afterwards, we're going to. Narrow it down a little I, bit. We'll see. I'll look into that. I think that it's actually worse. Of course it's <laughs> that worse. That makes me feel worse about let's the fact that grab. <laughs> let's money grab, even though it's against our safety protocols, and then go. No, but I'm right there with you because when I watch sports, man, here, here's what I want. I want a distraction from all the other stuff that's out in the world, you know, and seeing fans in the stands, it, it leads me to believe everything's just kind of a normal game. Now, we know that the teams still have to do different protocols. We know that the Nationals haven't played a game yet because of COVID protocols. Like, like the stuff isn't gone by any means, but steps are going in the right direction. So I think that for many listening right now, while you might have been yelling at your TV come game two and game three, that at least you had some sort of a distraction over the weekend, and uh, maybe you get the, the good fortune to be able to go to Bush Stadium and be a part of a, a game and feel the energy whether you go to the game or you go you know hang out at ballpark village which by the way if anybody hasn't been down it's amazing it's it is pip uh picked up quite a bit from last time maybe you went down there in the last calendar year so many more things open uh it's it's uh it's great it's fantastic so i'm excited for the fans i'm excited for the people and i just hope by the time that the cardinals get back you know in three more days that we're talking about some positive things that the rotation's looking a little bit better little challenging. Got Ponce de Leon, and then you got John Gant. Uh, I'm a huge fan of both of theirs, but Ponce hasn't been economical with his pitching when your bullpen's been worked a lot. So a lot of things to get done in the next three days, but exciting nonetheless. Looking forward to your breakdown on all of that, BT. What else do you guys have coming up today on the Fast Lane? Look, we're going to talk about all of that. Jamie's going to cure the blues today. He's oh, going to tell us what it. is ailing them. And if Jamie can't do it, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, the birthday boy himself, JR, is going to tell us too. So we'll break down the blues, the Cardinals, all, all that and more. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.